Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Random Town Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jose. And this episode is titled Wario's Got Games, as we'll be sharing full impressions of Gaming Wario's many mini games and let you know if the package is really worth those 40 bucks or not. Uh, I'd say the episode is split into three main parts, and if you want to jump to a specific topic that we talk about, as always, we have timestamps on the corresponding blog post at randomtown.com. But how we're going to do it is we're going to kick off with some game news. There's some new game announcements, all for eShop, interestingly. And uh, new details on some major Nintendo titles on the way that were announced back at E3. We're then going to sh- switch over to more general Nintendo news, discussing um, some news out of their shareholder meeting recently, where Iwata gave some interesting hints. Iwata being Satoru Iwata, their global president. Gave, giving some interesting hints of what may be to come in the future for uh, Wii U and 3DS and Miiverse. And then we're going to wrap up with those Game Warrior impressions and a nice little bonus for once. We have impressions of upcoming games that aren't out yet. We're going to be talking about Ace Attorney Dual Destinies uh, and 1001 Spikes, both of which will be coming to the eShop on the 3DS this fall. And we had a chance to play them at Anime Expo, which is how we're able to do this. And actually, uh, 1001 Spikes is the latest game from Nick Nicholas, the developers of Cave Story, Ikachan, all those, Night Sky, Cave Story Plus, Cave Story, Cave, Plus, Cave Cave Story, Story 3D. 3D, yeah, all <laughs> all 20 versions of Cave Story, and uh, yeah, they've been a strong supporter of Nintendo, so it's cool to see that they have yet another game coming, oh, and VVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVV
but then he and he's really skilled yeah. and he's really skilled at his army abilities but he has an annoying little bratty sister who's tagging along for the whole adventure so you better get used to her sass <laughs> like that's basically what every jrpg is but no this one with grinzia you're a traveling family of treasure hunters and um the treasure actually plays an interesting role in how the game will work in that it's almost like items you equip like the treasure you collect which is what you need to do to progress through your game will actually change what your characters can do depending on which treasure you find in which places so that's kind of a neat twist. Like, it's not just, like, here's an item you use for battle, and then here's an item you have to collect. They're combining them into one item. Hmm. Which is a little different. Yeah. And I want to kind of see how that ends up playing out. Yeah, I mean, it's already on iOS and Android, so you can always go browse yeah. iTunes store reviews. And, I mean, I don't know what they're changing for the 3DS version. This is strictly what was on the iOS and Android version. Inventory yeah, because, I mean, Nicholas, literally all they did was give out posters for the game. They did not give any details except it's an old-school RPG this year, 3DS eShop. But, um, with that said, there are a couple, there are, like, two other little things that may be coming to this version, I assume will be. Uh, there's a day and night system, and it's not just as simple as, oh, look, the village has lights on in their windows now. It'll actually affect, like, the overworld and battles and everything. Well, it'll change the dynamics. enemies will come out of Probably. Right probably. But apparently battles themselves somehow change as well. Not just the enemies you face, but how you face them. I don't know exactly, once again, because... They, Nic- they Nicholas be... isn't actually saying anything. This is just what I'm pulling from oh, the yeah, iOS yeah. version. But I guess they'd probably be more difficult at night because the yeah. more powerful enemies come out. That is true. The monsters lurk in the shadows and come out at night. And uh, Ocarina of Time taught me that. When you're going through Hyrule Field and then at night there's bad guys, but during the day it's just happy little singing birds. Uh, I don't think there are singing birds, actually. No, I might have exaggerated that. There's a giant spinning pineapple-looking thing of death. True. That's not an Ocarina of Time, is it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's no like right. right when you leave. I think it's also in Twilight Princess, which is why I was like, that. I have no idea what that is, but... It's a pineapple of death. You just summed yeah, it up. Like but uh, they're also... Um, each character in Grinzia is going to have... That is a horrible, like, jump back. But <laughs> each character in Grinzia is also going to have uh, their own reactions to everything that happens in the game for replayability purposes. In other words, they have personalities, but they're framing it as, like, a replayability perk because you can choose who to work with and whatnot. Oh, man. So. It's one of those... It's one of those. But, the, you know, the real reason I bring it up, besides the fact that no one talked about it, and it is kind of like, Nicholas is a pretty big name on the eShop, so it's kind of shocking that this is, like, not getting attention. But I think the real significance is the fact that it's coming from Nicholas, who previously they did Metroidvania-style adventure games and platformers, and that was it. You know, you had Night Sky that was kind of a plot, like a puzzle platformer. Cave Story, Metroidvania game. Ikachan, underwater Metroidvania game. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the VVV, kind of a puzzle platformer thing. Like, all these games kind of fit the same mold, but now Nicholas is actually branching out. They have uh, Grinzia, which is RPG. They have 90s Arcade Racer, which they picked up after it was crowdsourced, and that's coming to Wii U's eShop. So they're broadening their portfolio, which is good since they support Nintendo so well. That means all these games, all of which presumably are going forward, are of the same quality as their past titles. Ensure that there's, you know, a good selection of games coming to the eShop. So if nothing else, it's just interesting to see them diversify, and I hope it works out for them so they continue to do so and bring us more games. Yeah. But, yeah. So I just, that, that, I just thought that was worth mentioning because no one mentioned it. Like, literally, no one. I like I looked it up. No one seems to know it's going to be 3DS. So, there you go. A RAM Nintendo scoop. Courtesy of a giant poster that they gave us. Uh, but one game that's definitely more up our alley, I'd say, is um, a different game that's announced over in Japan. That's Chibi Robo is back. Not Rocks the A's. Not Rocks the A's. We've had, for those who might not have understood, uh, we tweeted out that joke about how it's not Rocks the A's. Back in, like, a year ago now on the podcast, we talked about Chibi Robo 
and, and a big part. And we had this whole like fake game going where it's like Chippy Rubber Rocks the A's. He travels in time to the eighties. It's like hair metal and and all sorts of like I don't know like sideways ponytails everywhere. And he's walking around with a walk or like collecting Walkman pieces or whatever. And he's rocking the A's and he becomes a band leader and and he tours the country with Poison. And then he switches over to uh, to Guns N' Roses after Slash after the breakup with Slash and everything. He becomes a guitarist. And wears a giant top hat as well. But anyway, no, that, that might have been the 90s when that happened. But point being, um, that was like a long-running joke. And sadly, the new Chibi Robo won't be doing that. Instead, it's going to be what... It's masquerading as an augmented reality game. It's going to be a 3DS eShop title. It is a 3DS eShop title in Japan. And it, it was announced in a surprise Nintendo Direct, and it was released instantly. Which is a very Apple move. Like, only, not very many companies pull that. Like, Apple does that all the time. Or used to, at least. So it's like... Here's the new iPod. It comes out right now. But Nintendo pulled it off with Chibi Robo. Um, it's like, how we didn't even give you time to pre-order? Yeah, well, you can't, yeah. <laughs> can't pre-order this digital game because it's out now. Didn't they do that with uh, Four Swords for DS? For 3DS? No, they announced it in advance. They announced at E3 that they'd be releasing the Four Swords Anniversary Edition. Something was available. They've done it before day. with, like, Virtual Console. It was Link's Awakening. Yeah, it was Link's Awakening. But that's uh, not the same as a whole no, new yeah. Chibi well, yeah. Robo. But yeah, so this one, like I said, is kind of masquerading as an AR game. It's called Photography of Chibi Robo. And it is a full-fledged adventure, but the main like focal point of the game is you're going, you're building out a nostalgia museum. You're living in the future. Oops, I just kicked our table. You're living in the future, and this museum curator, who happens to be French, because museum curators tend to be for some reason, which is true if you think about it. Most of them are. But um, he, he's saying, hey, we want to you know look back fondly on... The early 2000 century. Can oh, you... toilet paper. Yeah. What I so, so, he, so what you do is you go around and he gives you silhouettes of things to take photos of. And you go line up the silhouette with real things in your house. Toilet paper, baseballs, cans of corn, whatever. And then you, if you have a 60% or more match, the photo will work. And it like inserts the object into the game. And the only way you can get these silhouettes is by collecting special silhouette film. And the only way you could collect silhouette film is by getting happy points, which are like the currency of sorts in every Chibi Robo. And that's where the real Chibi Robo gameplay comes in, because you collect happy points by doing tasks for various characters. It's not open, like a totally open environment like the GameCube one or even Park Patrol on the DS. Instead, you get emails from characters at your little Chibi computer, and then um, you go meet them by, by way of a map, like you just kind of warp to where they are. But the tasks, you know, you have stuff like cleaning up a kitchen, which is very traditional Chibi Robo. You have like a, uh, it looked kind of like a whack-a-mole in the trailer, but with the uh, smoglings from Park Patrol. Yeah, it almost like looked like you were doing the same thing, like just digging the hole, making them fall in, and then mm-hmm. stomping on them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like strictly that and uh, the gardening yeah. half. Some driving game. Yeah, there's a driving game. There was uh, Drake Redcrest, the action figure hero Drake Redcrest, uh, has you do like a kind of a first-person shooter target practice thing. So there's like all these different activities and they're all kind of tied together by the fact that you're collecting happy points to do the augmented reality stuff. But in between, you know, a lot of those activities involve the traditional exploring and platforming just in slightly, what looks like slightly smaller environments, from what I was reading. So it's like, it's a slightly different twist on uh, Chibi Robo, but it's still Chibi Robo. It's not an AR, it's not like an AR app that happens to feature Chibi Robo. It's Chibi Robo that happens to feature AR. Yeah. Which is, when I first heard about it, I was like, Oh god, I hope it's not only AR, so I'm glad it's a full-fledged game. Yeah, I mean, it'd still be nice to have a full adventure, but... I agree. I mean, 
kind of hope that this makes Chibi World relevant enough to maybe consider for Smash Brothers. That'd be kind of cool. oh, that'd be amazing. Also, did you notice there are Chibi Chibi Robos? There are baby Chibi Robos in it's in the it's on the Japanese website for uh, the game, and they're like they're literally like if you thought Chibi Robo was tiny at like four inches tall, these guys are like up to his knee, and they're like all squat and chubby in their Chibi Chibis. Chip, chip chip squared, chip squared. That's what I call them. The chip squared group, the chip squared crew. There we go. But um, yeah. So the game is out in Japan. No word on it coming to the U.S. But it better come to the U.S. I mean, not only does the game is a Chibi Robo, but it has this cool like new kind of realistic art style to mimic the fact that you're taking pictures of the real world. It's so, like the game looks great. Like it looks real, and it looks like Chibi Robo is just exploring your world. So, well, that alone should make it come to US, but really, like, I love the GameCube game. It's one of my, one of my favorite GameCube games, Chibi, the original Chibi Robo. Park Patrol for DS, which was the sequel that came stateside, I actually got recently, like a couple months ago. Really, like, it's not as good as the original, it's a little different dynamic, but it's still really fun. Yeah, it's a different game. Right? It's, yeah, it's, it's like... That's like a different game with the same controls, and... Yeah. I feel like the... Not even the same controls, it's all stylus. Well, I mean, to do the same actions. Yeah, that's differently. true. I mean... The only one that would have come close to that is the other DS one that we didn't get, which actually gave you a whole house to explore and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's what's that's annoying. The one we should have gotten. Instead yeah, of that the, the second DS game uh, in the Chibi Robo series. Yeah, it was the true sequel to the GameCube one. The first DS one was a spinoff that relied on like touchscreen stuff to do activities like pedaling a bike by spinning your stylus around that sort of thing. But the second one was a full was Chibi Robo two proper. Like it picked up the story from the first one with the family and everything. Yep. So it's kind of bummer. I mean, Nintendo's been weird about Chibi Robo. The original was released wide, you know, wide release, and it did all right. The sequel on DS, the Park Patrol on DS, only was released at Walmart, which was a weird choice, probably because other companies didn't think it was worth selling, putting on their shelves. And then obviously that didn't sell well because it's only at Walmart. So then the third one never happened. But now Nintendo doesn't have an excuse. Chibi Robo's digital. You don't have to worry about distribution. Marketing's much simpler. You know, just do a Nintendo Direct and put it out there. So... Hopefully that means it's coming to stateside. Because they have no excuse. No excuse. Hopefully. Hopefully. But uh, that same Nintendo Direct for Dan Atchery Rebel, also just worth a mention for those who may enjoy the series, uh, Dempa Men's Gang, a third entry. They pump these out fast. Yeah. I mean, the eShop's been out... They really do come in waves. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Oh, that is... That, we, we might as well end the podcast now. We're not topping that. But yes, the Dempa Men continue to come in waves. Um... Dumpaman 3, it looks to be a bit more of the same, but they added some kind of Animal Crossing-esque customization. You can have a house for your Dumpaman, you can decorate with items and patterns, and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. The rest is the same, you know, augmented reality to catch the Dumpaman, and then you send them into mystery dungeon-style randomized dungeons and duke it out. A lot of Dumpafun. Dumpa. Your first one was better. I, they do come in waves. It was better than Dumpafun. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. But, um, Dumpaman do Dumpa things. Yeah. You make them sound like they're Pokemon or like Smurfs. Smurf. <laughs> the Dumpermen are Nintendo's are genius uh, sorority Smurfs, basically. But um, yeah, so those are the uh, those are the games in Japan that were announced. Here in the states, we did get uh, one more announcement for uh, the Wii U shop that's brand new, which is uh, Broken Rules, the team that brought us Chasing Aurora at the Wii U launch. They are fun ret- game, by the way. Yeah, it is pretty fun. There, we gave impressions of it a few episodes ago. I feel like it wasn't a few. It was like <laughs> six. <laughs> but yeah, so go dig around the really site. Really, only six? Wow. Maybe more. I don't know. We we didn't talk it about was, it. Was, it was close to the launch of the Wii. Was it Wii U? Was it? Yeah, because that was oh. one of the first. 
downloadable games. That came yeah, but we held off for a while because there's so many bigger games. Oh. I feel like maybe we talked about it in like February. You might be right. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, but um, yeah, they're returning to that world. They're bringing back the vector art style. They're going back into that like very picturesque origami, uh, origami world for a new game that they're calling Secrets of Recticon. Recticon. It has like one of those weird E's that are like backwards. The like AD. the AE thing, like yeah. the Greek symbol, so um, I think it's Raticon. It's called a Radicon. Radicon? No, Sounds like a Transformer or something. I was going to call it Radicon. Radicon. But yeah, the game, uh, it's going to be, this one's not all like Chasing Roar. It's not multiplayer focused. It's not like a giant game of tag. It's not Chase Me, basically. It's not Chase Me. It's what it is, is it's a, a three chapter, well, we already know what it is. Wait, but yeah. what they've told us oh. is it's a, what were you going to say? Oh, no, wait, wait, the, no, I was just going to say, wait, the minigame ended up being called Mario Chase, not Chase Me. But that oh, matter. yeah, Mario Chase. Chase Me was Mario Chase's E3 2011 dem- yeah, 11 yeah. demo name, and then when they re-announced re- it as part of Nintendo Land, it became Mario. Yeah. Just the Nintendo history lesson for you. Um, but yeah, so with uh, the new Broken Rules game with Secrets of Raytheon or whatever we're calling it, uh, all they've said is there's gonna be it's a three chapter quest. You're gonna be exploring the environment, interacting with wildlife, and kind of playing at your own pace and just exploring the world, which is very different from Chasing Aurora, where you're just running around as a bird. So um, to me, it sounds like it might be a point and click adventure. And if so, that could be cool because I love the look of the world. Like I'd be happy to just explore it and interact with it. Like if it was like. Maybe less of a point, maybe less of a, like, Virtue's Last Reward or Phoenix Wright style point and click and more of, like, a trace memory for those who played the DS game. Where, like, you're actually walking around, but you're still, like, walking up to things. Or, like, a Ace Attorney Investigation style, you know, the spinoff where you're actually controlling the character. Like, if it's like that, that could be really cool. Like, if you're controlling some sort of, like, polygonal man. I feel like you're going to be controlling some sort of polygonal man. Except, will it be 2D or 2.5D? That'll be interesting. Yeah, I have no idea, but... Like, if it's something like that, just because I love the world of Chasing World, the gameplay to me of that was a bit on the shallow side, but the world was super cool. So I'd be happy to revisit that. Although, oddly, we have no idea if it's actually coming to Wii U. I know I said it supposedly is when I first brought this up, but Broken Rules has only has not given a date or a platform. All we know is it's being built on the Chasing Aurora uh, gameplay engine, which means it probably is coming to Wii U, because that was built for Wii U on Wii U. So, it'd be weird if they suddenly didn't bring it to Wii U. Plus, they had pretty good success with Chasing Aurora, from my understanding. So, if it doesn't come to Wii U, that's shocking. We'll keep you posted if it does, because it, it, the potential's there. Yeah. A game, uh, another game, actually, with a lot. Were you, did you want to say something else? No, no, I just said, yeah, like, potential's there, because we don't know yeah. anything about yeah, it. Yeah, we don't really know. It's just kind of like, you know, the original game was so eye-catching that this one, it just feels right to mention that it's coming, you know? Yeah. But um, another game that actually has a lot of potential, but in a totally different way, is in Japan, around a little after the Wii, la- Wii U launch, Nintendo released Wii Karaoke U, powered by Joy Sound, which was... Wait, so they had two karaoke games coming They had out? Sing Party here in the West, oh. and then in Japan they had Wii Karaoke U, powered by Joy Sound. And much like Wii Street U, powered by Google, what they did is they made a Wii U app and brought in another company's technology to f- flush it out. So in this case, in Japan, what it was is they had Joy Sound Power, this karaoke app. And it's actually kind of interesting. It's an eShop download that's completely free. And you get to pay not by song, but by time, time span. So if you have some friends over for an hour, you could, put, you could pay for an hour. If you have, you know, you could pay for a day. You could pay for a 30-month window. And then within that, it's like Spotify. When you have your subscription going, well, not subscription, but when you have your time slot going, you get access to the entire library of songs, thousands upon thousands of songs, all of which stream 
instantly to your console or within a minute or two. It's a very cool concept. It's like you can do the idea of, okay, instead of going to the bar to play the karaoke machine, you would have bring the karaoke anyway for that hour or whatever. Yeah. But I don't know, it's kind of weird just the fact that it's in your house at all times, but it's also free. That you kind of want to own it. Well, I mean, you kind of, it's like Spotify. No, I, no. I view it as Spotify for karaoke. But the reason I bring it up is it's now coming out in Europe. It was announced for Europe. So this is the first confirmation of it coming west. And, I mean, if they're making it in English for the UK, because, that, you know, that's Europe, uh, it, I'd be shocked if it doesn't come to America after that. So what was announced for Europe? Uh, I mean, don't they have to, like, go by the whatever song is available? I mean, music is available? Right, but so much of Western music... Like, between Europe and America is the same. Like, when I was traveling in Europe in February, literally everywhere I went in Italy, the Lumineers were playing. That Ho Hey song, that's all over the radio, that was all over the radio recently here in the States, it was even more all over in Europe. And the band's from Denver. Like, they're American bands. Like, it's very cross. Also, Uh Muse, which is a UK band, is super big here and in Europe. So, like, there's a lot of crossover. So, if they get, if they're doing the licensing, if they're doing the translating and everything for the UK, I can't see it being that much of a logic leap that they'll bring it to America at that point. Makes sense. Yeah, because they're already, you know, they're already in talks with... And actually, I don't even know if they need to talk to anyone. Joy Sound might take care of that. They might have some sort of Western division. But the game the game itself sounds cool beyond just... Will it be like seeing where you have like the lyrics on the gamepad and you're kind of just... I'm not entirely sure. I mean, what, what I know is you can use the gamepad as a microphone, which must be very awkward to watch. You can also plug in a Sing Party mic... You could plug in any USB mic, actually. To the gamepad? To uh, your Wii U on the USB slot. But I don't know, like, where it displays. I think it's on the gamepad. I think you're right, because there's three modes in the game, and one of them, which is actually an online ranking mode, where, like, you're you're rated on your performance and as compared with other people that sung that song, like, with, with, like, stats and stuff. Uh, When you do that, your me is also represented. And how it works is when you're singing, your me is dancing on the TV in a costume of your choosing, like doing a stage show. And you get to dress them up and whatever. And then it goes off to the web. So I guess that means the lyrics have to be on the gamepad. It does make sense. I mean, that was the one thing that Sing Party got right, was putting him on the gamepad. Yeah. So, But yeah, there's two other modes too. There's also just like, I mean, if anyone, you know, if this does come to America, there's also the ability to just like get a score of how you did, and also can rate your vocal performance, like, throughout, and kind of give you some breakdowns and stuff. So, it's, it's like a full-fledged karaoke machine. And I think it could be, like, this is what I was saying when I was saying a different type of potential. Like, this could be huge for, Ameri- for uh, the Wii U in America, because, you know, you have Just Dance, you have Guitar Hero, you've had these music games that are popular and kind of draw a crowd, and now karaoke is a big thing. So, if you buy this, if you, if you essentially view the Wii U, it's like, I'm gonna go buy this karaoke machine and have, like, friends come over for, like, a kickback, and we're gonna drink whatever and sing into our Wii U's gamepad. Like, that could be fun. And then you have the perk of, also, I have this party machine now. I could get Just Dance, I could get Mario Kart, I could get Smash Bros, I can get Sing Party, I can get Nintendo Land. Like, there's always party, I could get Wii Party, Wii U Party. There's always party games. So, like, it's kind of like you're getting a karaoke machine that plays all these other games. Or you're getting this crazy, mach- this crazy party game machine that has built-in karaoke. <laughs> what? They should just advertise it as a... Yeah, they... Well, yeah. It's a karaoke machine that, <laughs> that happens to be a yeah. game console. Yeah, it's kind of like... Cause so many people are like, oh, you know, I, who... It. I don't think there's that many people that would go like, oh, I need a karaoke machine, but for $50 more, I can get one that plays Mario. Nah, I hate Mario. Like, <laughs> you know, I think, I think it could be big for Nintendo if they market it right. So, in Europe, they seem to be taking that gamble. I hope they do so in America, because, you know, they need the content. 
Yeah. So it wouldn't hurt. Even and, if not everyone takes them, as long as having the options there, a lot yeah. of people just like having the options. Yeah, and I mean, I definitely download the free app if it was here and like My rent husband. an hour and just play around with it. If nothing else, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> we'll just see what it's like. I mean, then we could all get together and like you know, us and friends. I'll save with your it. rental. Yeah, oh. for here. Yeah. <laughs> But, no, it's just, like, it's such a good idea. I don't know why Nintendo... Like, it came out in December in Japan or something like that, and then Nintendo just kind of sat on it. Probably not to cannibalize Sing Party. Not like it needed any help with that. It only sold, like, a couple thousand copies. But, um, it bombed hard. But, yeah, so, I don't know. It's... I'm shocked it didn't come here sooner, but now it's confirmed for the West, so there's new game number three on our list. And the, uh, the last one, actually, isn't exactly a new game. It's a new set of content for an old game. Uh, Gaijin Games is bringing new content to Runner 2, which you may also know by the much lengthier title of Bit Trip Presents Runner 2, Future Legend of Rhythm Alien, which is way too much of a mouthful. I said it when we talked about it in February, I say it again now. Too long of a title. But, uh, the game's great. I mean, you get us to that too, you've played it too. Very great. Yeah, and we have full impressions back in one in, uh, of our February episodes, if you are curious about the game as itself. But the thing they added is a new DLC in the form of a Good Friends character pack. For three bucks, you're going to get seven new characters that you can uh, run as. And they're actually like a who's who of the indie world. There's Quote, the main hero of Cave Story. There's uh, Raz, I think it's Raz, from Psychonauts. There's uh, Joseph from Machinarium. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, Machinarium. Machinarium, there we go. There's Dr. Fiesh from Super Meat Boy. There's yeah. Atlas from Portal 2. There's the Spelunky guy from... Atlas is a Steam exclusive, though. Is he? Yeah. Oh, my mistake. It's well, there's not Atlas from Portal 2, but there is Spelunky guy from, you guessed it, Spelunky. And uh, and then there's the Invisible Commander Rayo, who harkens back to the old Bit Trip games from the WiiWare days. So, there's a lot of characters. And it's only $3. So it's kind of cool. And they're all done in the style of Runner 2. Like, they all, like, they have cutscenes that match the, like, paper, like, the paper cutout look. They have, they've been drawn in the same yeah. way. But, I mean, that's only good, though, if you're a big fan of those games yeah. that they came from. Like, I mean, if you don't know who any of those are, then it's really not worth paying 3 bucks. Also, does, do they even, are they, do they run the same? Or do they have, like, well, unique weight like, to them? I or? mean, this is, like, just based on an assumption, but, um... In Runner 2, there's already tons of other costumes that like you could play as a fish, you could play as a disco burger, you could play as a pickle, and a bunch of them. So, assuming like they're just like those, none of them affect the gameplay in any way, and yeah. it makes sense that it doesn't, because then they would have they would kind of need their own levels for it to work, because right. the game is designed in such a way that it would only work with that, I don't know, that, that control scheme. So, you're paying $3 for 7, well, 6 for Wii, for Wii U, 6 different six. character skins. Oh, yeah. So 50 cents a character. So pretty much... Which actually doesn't sound bad when it's Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, if you're a fan of... uh, I mean, like, like, I'm a big fan of, like, Super Meat Boy, so I would probably... I would get it just for Dr. Fetus and... Right. And actually, I would also get it for Quote. Yeah, from Cave Story. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, like, that's worth it. I want to see them running, but, like, for someone else, like, they're not getting really anything worth it. Yeah, it's just fan service. Yeah, I mean, if it were done, like, in Super Meat Boy, where... In Super Meat Boy, they had the same... Kind of the same thing as this, where they had a who's who of... Like, different indicator. I mean, you had the Minecraft guy. You had mm-hmm. Commander Video. You mm-hmm. had um, Alien Hominid from Alien Hominid. But <laughs> That's also the Spelunky guy from Spelunky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what's cool about that game, though, is that each character, like, they all had the physics around them. Like, they were all handled differently. And they all had different things that 
different controls that were taken from that game. Like, yeah. Minecraft guy could spawn little bricks for him to jump on and could also destroy the environment. And Commander Video kind of had, like, a delayed jump, and Alien Hominid could shoot downwards to increase his momentum. And, no, no, it was really cool. Oh, and, like, for the PC, I think they had the Braid guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim, and he could actually reverse time every time he died. So, like, it actually changed the game. Yeah, right? so, like, every level was the same, and in theory, you could beat each level with the character. It was just different. Like, some of them were harder. Right. Oh, one thing I did think was funny, though. Just a quick note. They actually added Tofu guy. Tofu? Tofu, tofu boy. Um, Peta had this whole thing against Super Meat Boy. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember this. And they had, like, oh, play Tofu Boy instead. And they actually added that character, and that character is... Into Super Meat Boy? Yeah. And That's funny. His controls so are so bad. So they parodied a parody. Yeah. To prove... Their... But that character's <laughs> controls were so bad, like, it's literally impossible to beat some level Well, their game, it, so... the, the, the Tofu Boy, like, Flash game that Peta built was horrible. Yeah. Like, it didn't play well, so they probably just lifted the controls from there. <laughs> But, so, yeah, that's my... So that's... I don't know. If they did something like that, that'd be cool. But then yeah. I don't know how much work it would have been for them to redesign some levels. Probably that. a lot. But the, the thing yeah. the thing that's... Cause, cool, I mean, they're not going to give Cave Story Guy a gun. Because that's all Cave right. Story Guy is. I mean, yeah, if you're shooting yeah. the obstacles away, you're just going to be running endlessly. So Yeah. Like, literally, you could just shoot past the target yeah. and never end the level. I mean, it does give us fun animation. I mean, I think they had... um, If their dancing video that they showed is yeah. any proof of how they're going to look... Um, Dr. Feet is going to be on a unicycle made of a a, a saw, a bloody nice, saw. So, nice. so that'd be yeah, cool. I love how these indie games like all like share their characters like this. Like it's a cool like they have. You could tell that the indie community is a very tight knit one, and that they're like you know really supportive of each other and just like getting their games out. And they're like, oh hey, you have this cool game, I have that cool game. Let's swap characters. Like, know, that's, it's so cool. I, I, I how was they do surprising, that. really. I don't know, just yeah, like somehow so many appear. Like same thing. I mean, Meepo had tons and some yeah. exclusive and. I mean, same thing with this. I mean, I'm surprised the Atlas guy was in there. Yeah, that that was a big grab. But yeah. I guess because it's only on oh, Steam, like, it makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, like, the thing the thing with that, though, is, like, because we've heard, like, we talked in the last couple episodes about Sakurai saying how hard it is to get third-party characters in Smash Bros. Because there's so much licensing and so yeah, much, like, those are worth... so much corporate, yeah. pay, like, red tape. And then these indie guys are just like, oh, hey, I like Super Meat Boy. Can we steal like, Dr. Fetus? And then the runner guy's like, or, and then the, you know, Super Meat Boy's team is like, sure. I mean, Meepo, <laughs> like it's so much easier. I mean, Meepo is technically one of the main characters of Commander Big yeah. Ship Runner. I mean, he's there. He's one of the best friends that is, appears in all the cutscenes. Yep. Yep. Stuff. Yeah. They, they. Yeah. It's just cool that they're so, such a tight knit community. Yeah. And it's cool. And you know, it's great that now Nintendo's kind I guess of. They don't have to worry too much about the image. Or I don't know what. Yeah. Well, I think it's just like they're supportive of each other. Oh, yeah, they don't yeah, have yeah. huge like legal departments that have to look over all these copyrights. It's just like, yeah, we'll let you borrow our guy. It's no big deal. But, and it's nice that Nintendo... That's why you'll never see Mortal Kombat vs. Street Fighter. Like, oh, yeah. no, we can't have... Exactly. Ryu decapitated. Exactly. <sighs> That'd be too bad. One's a T-rated game and one's an M-rated game. No. Why? But, I never. <laughs> yeah. Why? How dare they? <laughs> but no, um, I was going to say that's cool. Like, not only is this a tight-knit community of indie devs, generally speaking, but now, like, Nintendo's managed to, like, insert themselves into that community. Like they have Dan uh, Adelman, I believe is his name, as like their indie game rep of sorts for the eShop, who like is the point person for all that. So it's cool that n- not only is it a nice tight knit community, but Nintendo's kind of working with them, and that's gonna mean all sorts. Of- I know this isn't directly related to this, but ultimately it's gonna mean all these characters are just listed. Only a couple are on Nintendo systems right now. If only one, really, and that's quote. But down the road, we could start seeing all of them. I don't know, maybe they haven't. Like, if these guys are all. If if Steam got an exclusive character, I mean, that'd be cool if we got, like, Mario. He would have made sense in there. Yeah. But I don't even mean Nintendo characters. I just mean, like, like we've seen quote from K Store on Nintendo platforms. But if, you know, if Nicholas 
they were dominating this episode, by the way, that that publisher. They're all over this one. But if Nicholas was like, yeah, we love working with Nintendo, and Gaijin Games like, yeah, we love working with Nintendo, and they're chatting with their buddies that make Super Meat Boy and uh, Spelunky and whatnot, not that unreasonable to assume that eventually those guys will start making games on the eShop as well. But it's kind of like a word-of-mouth sort of deal. Yeah. So it's smart that Nintendo got in when they did. But And also it's cool that they're doing this. But, um... It's three dollars on Steam right now. Actually, it's two dollars on Steam as of this recording. Uh, summer sale. Yeah. yeah, but uh, no word on Wii release date for the DLC. But it is coming. Yeah, they said and it will consoles, be three dollars. Yeah, consoles yeah. come later. Yeah, they just want. I think they just wanted to get set to time with the Steam summer sale because it launched on the same day. But and that's it for like new games or new content for games. We do, however, know about all sorts of new details on games that were previously announced. At E3, before E3. So we'll kick off with probably the farthest out game, which is uh, Shimigami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem. Uh, this is, as you recall, the Atlas Nintendo collaboration that's launching, I believe, sometime in 2014. So yeah. we have, it's a ways away. I think it's like the thing I think it's like everyone saw coming least. Yeah, it was the one there. that, like, in the Nintendo Direct where they announced it. It was a 20 second trailer, and it was just like, Shimigami Tensei, Fire Emblem. We'll see you next year. And everyone's like, what? A bunch of art of the characters. Huh? Yeah, it's just like characters, like, scroll. It's like someone took a power, like, just did, like, a PowerPoint presentation of the characters, like, fading across each other. And it's like, okay. But, no, it's, it's kind of a cool concept. And it's actually uh, the producer of the game, Hitoshi Yamagami. By the way, that's an awesome last name, Yamagami. Uh, he was talking to a Spanish game magazine called Hubby Consola. <laughs> Uh, did I say hubby? Hobby. Yeah. <laughs> hubby Consola. Yeah, you see... You see. <laughs> your husband? Or yeah, yeah, I mean, you're married to the console. That's how passionate you are about gaming. You literally married the console. But no, Hobby Consola... Um, Consola. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak Spanish. You can. Uh, yeah, he gave a kind of funny comment to them. He was talking... Like, they asked him about Fire Emblem, and he said that... Uh, the, the takeaway quote is, Imagine a Pegasus that comes from the sky and lands on building 109 of Shibuya, Tokyo. I always thought that'd be incredible. And he said that under the guise of, For a long time I wanted to create a Fire Emblem in our times, in the real world. He then went to Atlas. The collaboration then happened. To which he now, to which he was saying the dream is not realized. In other words, We're gonna get a Fire Pegasus. Emblem is set, We're gonna get a Pegasus landing on in Tokyo on the 109th floor of uh, Shibuya. And That's gonna have its own Tower. crazy CG cutscene. Yes, and not only that, but we now know Fire Emblem is for the first time ever not medieval, as it's gonna be set in modern times, which makes sense because Shimigami Tensei is technically set slightly in the future, so they're kind of meeting in the middle a little. Yeah, it's gonna be some sort of time warp or something. Yeah, or something. But it's funny because he, like, right after he said that, he's quoted as then saying, "Oops, I shouldn't say that the game takes place in the real world. We haven't announced it, right?" So, clearly he slipped, but it gives a good insight on, you know, what to expect. It might be, in terms of setting, it's more Shin Megami Tensei than it's Fire Emblem. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's actually kind of interesting, because uh, I got this story from uh, Silicon Era, who does a bunch of, like, international, mainly Japanese news. And they point out that at one point, Fire Emblem Awakening could have been a sci-fi game, which I didn't realize was the case. They looked at near future, they looked at current times, and they looked at science fiction as options before they settled on the traditional Fire Emblem medieval setting. So, it's actually not that crazy that now we're seeing a real, or a current timeline, like current time, current period, Fire Emblem game coming out. Because apparently they've been toying with it for a while. So, just well, kind of have interesting. testing the waters, maybe the next one will be... Maybe the next out. one will be, like, in the 1800s and it'll be steampunk. Oh man, if they did steampunk Fire Emblem, that'd be cool. Or steampunk Advance Wars, actually. That'd be cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, I don't agree, but I'll just, <laughs> I'll just nod politely. Um... But but back to 
Fire Emblem, since that's like the main talking point here. Nintendo seems to really be banking on this crossover with Shingen Megami Tensei being popular. Like, they're really hoping it's going to do well. I mean, it's far off. I mean, like, isn't Fire the, Emblem itself doing really good? Yeah, well, Fire Emblem Awakening became the best-selling version of the game here in the States ever, which caught Nintendo off guard. That's why there are shortages, because shortages, they didn't produce enough copies because they didn't think it would do well. They and then they didn't release it on time. No, they did. What they released, you're talking about when in February no one could find it? Well, oh, you mean... because yeah, I remember GameStop got it like a week later. Yeah, well, what like happened that. was they released a very limited batch, and it sold out instantly. Oh, yeah, they did have Yeah, that's like no one, right. no one that pre-ordered was even able to get there. That's right. right. That's and, then, and then it took about a month before they could stock it properly. Yeah. But it was selling out like crazy. Like, it... Best-selling fire... Fastest-selling fire emblem in the States ever. But, um... So, obviously, obviously that's getting them a little bravado about, you know, a little, like... Yeah. A little more... Curt... Or, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? A little more confidence about Shimagami Tensei Crossfire Emblem doing well. But they're already starting to market it, which I find kind of interesting. It's not out till next year. It doesn't have a name. Like, Shimagami Tensei Crossfire Emblem is just what they called it in the trailer. Like, we don't know if that's the actual name or not, or what it will be eventually. But what they're doing is they're already hyping it by doing a very cool Club Town promotion where uh, if you register Fire Emblem Awakening and Shimagami Tensei 4, both on 3DS, with your Club Nintendo account, you get a full $30 in eShop money to spend as you wish. That's a lot. That's of... a lot of eShop money. Like, literally, uh, Shimagai Tensei for the version that's coming out this month, or that's out now, I think. I think it comes out this week at the time of this recording. Or, yeah, it comes out this coming Tuesday. So this episode goes up on the 14th and it's out on the 16th. But, um, yeah, that's $50 for a limited edition. It comes with like a uh, CD, an art book, all this other stuff, and you're basically paying 20 for it through this promotion, if you think about it. Or, you're paying 10 for the standard edition once that eventually hits shelves. Like, that's... Because that, that's assuming you have Fire Emblem. But that's an insane deal. Like, that's such a good deal. And it's really smart for Nintendo to do it, because on the one hand, you have people you who have... Are on it? I might. I had no interest in uh, Shin Megami Tensei 4, but now I do. <laughs> like, now I'm curious about it. I want to read reviews and get and watch some videos, see if it's my type of game or not. But I do like the Persona games, and this is the father franchise, or the mother franchise of that. Like, the Personas are spinoffs, so... Presumably I'd like Wait, this. you fit a Persona game? Yeah, uh, back when Ram Nintendo was still... Back when Ram Nintendo was still a daily news site that I ran in high school. There's a history lesson for some listeners. Um... Atlas sent me a press copy of Persona 4 for PlayStation 2, and I don't know why. But I took it to a friend's house, and we played through pretty much the entire game. And it was really fun. Partly because I was, like, hanging out with a friend and playing it, but opposed to just staying alone. No, I was going to say, wait, you had a PS2? I did not have a PS2. But, um, yeah, but my point about this with Shimagami Tensei 4 and Fire Emblem is it's, you know, you got all the fans that are into one game now possibly dabbling in the other, and vice versa. And you have people who may not have had any interest in either game suddenly going... Well, I mean that's a good deal, and possibly picking up both. So it's a really, yeah, it's a really good way, it's a really good way to like prep people for Shin Megami, for the crossover and make it like a big hit. I know, but so many people aren't even aware that there's a crossover even coming out. Yeah, so. that's that's exactly what they're. So and they're Nintendo's they're, banking on that. Like, oh, like, why is there a promotion between these two games and they yeah. have to love them both? So. Yeah, Nintendo's banking on that. They're hoping that people will go, wait, they're combining those. I love those. So I mean, and Tensei's getting good reviews from what I've seen so far. Yeah. So. Yeah, but it's 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 just so brilliant this promotion, and clearly Nintendo has big hopes for the crossover. If they're putting down thirty dollars for every person that buys both the games, Atlas must love this. Like, at, you know, Shin Megami Tensei, it's a big franchise, but it's still niche. 
And now, like, Nintendo's, like, featuring this promotion on their homepage, and they're sending out emails and tweets about it, and, like, it's getting a lot of attention. So it's a very nice free marketing boost for Atlas. And I bet you it was in the contract. When they made the crossover game deal, I bet you part of the deal was Nintendo would promote Shin Megami Tensei. Hmm. So, but yeah, that's uh, that's what's new with that game. It's not out, like I said, till sometime next year. But another a game that's joining it next year is, of course, Super Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS. And uh, the game's producer, Masahiro Sakurai, sure likes to talk Smash Bros. an awful lot. He has given I don't know how many interviews during E3, but they're still trickling out, and we're a month removed from the expo. Like, the IGN just posted, finally, their full interview with him. And there are a couple more comments he made that, you know, they're kind of fun to dissect. A couple more cryptic things he said. Uh, specifically, he touched on the online capabilities of the game. It is confirmed to have online multiplayer on both Wii U and 3DS, I believe. And uh, he believed, and Sakurai believes, that the annoying lag everyone faced in Brawl might not actually be an issue anymore because Nintendo finally got their act together Nintendo yeah, Network is I, good I tried playing Brawl literally yesterday and it doesn't work it kind of works frame rates like yeah, 10 yeah. 10 frames per second <laughs> yeah really but, weird though I was playing free for all and for some reason everyone was still playing against me they wouldn't attack each other only attack me so I don't know how that I wonder if they're all playing on one console together and Actually, hopped online that might be possible yeah it is you can do that if that's the case then that sucks, because that wasn't They that were getting fun. up on you. I still beat them once, so... Ha. You know why? They knew that a day later, when you were recording this podcast, you'd say, the Dempa men, they come in waves. And they're like, ugh, too lame of a pun. And they just pummeled you. That's what happened. Oh, well, that was lame. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I was gonna, uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, I mean, Nintendo Network... The thing I don't get about Smash Bros. Brawls Online is Mario Kart, which came out a month later, Mario Kart Wii, had perfectly smooth online. What happened with Smash Bros? Like, is, is it that much more data being sent? When they show videos before, like, oh, look, we're playing from Japan to the U.S. Yeah, but no and the connection. Yeah, because no one's well, on yeah. the server. Yeah. I remember it being silky smooth also, like, the last day of, it was that we moved out. Of college. Yeah. It was super smooth the first night because everyone that got at midnight went to sleep or played locally against friends. Like, the first night when it was just the core people that were like, I'm going to try online, it was, like, perfect. Then about two days later, it just went to hell. I never came back. But uh, Sakurai's pretty sure that Nintendo Network alleviated that. So um, that's a plus. That's definitely good, Hopefully. considering it will now actually be playable. Uh, he didn't say he didn't uh, say that there'd be much in terms of new like twisted multiplayer. Uh, specifically, he actually said that there won't be any worldwide ranking system, which is something you know with with Super Smash Bros. Melee currently at Evo, the big fighting game. Tarny, yeah. you would think that worldwide ranking might rank a little higher on the list of priorities, but he purposely doesn't want to do it. I think that would kind of help the game, though. Well, his argument is that uh, he doesn't want people to be in a ranking period where only the very top are the ones I enjoy, and everyone's like, why am I so low on this period? Like, why am I so low on the chart? Oh. Why can't I get better? Personally, as someone that sucks at Smash Bros, but loves to play it, and l- even when I lose... It's kind of nice to know that I won't, like, constantly be reminded, look how bad you are every time I play well, online. Well, but that's the thing, though, like, I feel the pyramid helps those people that are always ranking low because then if that's because if you're just going to be paired off randomly, then you're always going to well, be paired off with those people. That, well, that's the thing. He's not saying there won't be ranking. He's just saying there won't oh, be a general worldwide. Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, like as long as there's some sort of way to like yeah. siphon people out. I mean, maybe there's a nicer way to tell you that you're ranking lower. Or maybe just not tell you at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, what he went on to tell IGN is that they're going to do a point system. 
kind of like... Oh, like Mario Kart. Well, well, I was going to say, yeah, like Mario Kart. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, you have 2,000 points. People are like, okay, I guess that's not bad or good. Yeah. I mean, like All-Stars, like that one ranks you just based on how oh, often I mean, you uh, use it. PlayStation Battle yeah, All-Stars. Yeah, PlayStation yeah. All-Stars. Yeah, they, they just give you points based on how many times you use a character. So, right. like if you see someone like, oh, like I have 999, I maxed out 999 on Parappa. Yeah. So people are like, oh, wow, he really plays Parappa, but... It doesn't really say whether, like... Yeah, I think I think not. that's what he has in mind, because he was saying that there... Uh, this is what he said to IGN. I think there are other unique ways to be able to implement a system where people can get satisfaction outperforming at a skill level relative to their peer group. Yeah. So that sounds mean, more like what you're describing. Because it like, doesn't sound fun for someone to always be paired off with, like, oh, right. the good people. Yeah, I mean, and he doesn't want... I don't think he wants people... Because, you know, he's always said Smash Bros. is more of a party game than a hardcore fighting game, in his mind. So it t- like it is discouraging if someone's just like I gotta go play online and they're like you're ranked number two million out of two point five million you suck like you know it's not the most encouraging thing but I could see him like doing something like you're describing or like friend leaderboards that could even work a bit better or maybe something like communities in Mario Kart Seven like imagine they did Smash Bros communities where it's like I want to play no items only against people who are ranked in the ninety nine or like yeah like the ninety ninth percentile of all players unless. And it can like somehow determine the percentiles without actually telling you where exactly you rank, so you don't Unless feel bad. Unless the game lets you rank yourself, like in Miiverse. No, like, oh, do you consider do yourself expert? Oh god! If they do that, that'd be awful. <laughs> but you know, if there's some way of assessing players' skills, that could work. Because I mean, if someone considers, oh, I'm going to consider myself an expert, and then they get but destroyed. The like, I thought until I went to college, I thought it was pretty decent at Smash Bros. Because I had a limited selection of people to play against and the computer. And then when I got to college, I was like, wow, I'm bad at this, but I still like playing it. So I would have called myself intermediate. But I was really, my skill level was probably a little closer to novice at times. But, I don't know. If there's some way of assessing players and then having it, like, automatically pair people up somehow, like, based on... Yeah. I mean, other games have done that. Or even, I, I really think communities could be cool in Smash Bros. Like, you no, know, it's like when you no item good. community, bob bombs only. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other good ones. Um, only using characters from the Mushroom Kingdom community. Like, you could, you could do some fun things with that. And it has to be like a ch- an ever-changing challenge mode. No if smash find... balls or only yeah. smash balls. No final smashes, yeah, like you said. Yeah. Yeah, that could be cool. Mm-hmm. But um, we also discussed the possibility of patching, because that's another big thing in fighting games. I'd say worldwide ranking and patches are like the two like talk, like talk the two key online yeah. elements of a fighting mean, game. I, I, I don't even care if they don't patch the game in the sense of like, okay, let's balance out the characters more. Well, that's what I, I, I do. No, no, I mean... I mean that's fine and all, but I mean, yeah. I'd be more worried about, because I mean, people find glitches all the time, and yeah. then they turn glitches into wave game dashing. mechanics. Wave like, dashing, wave yeah. dashing was totally a glitch. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, that's a glitch. I mean, but I mean, that's more kind of acceptable in the way. More like yeah. um, glitches that could like break the game. Like I mean, more like Meta Knight, he could make himself invin- invisible and invincible for like as long as you're, oh, yeah, as, yeah, long as, as, you're as, as long that. as you're mashing up. I mean, yeah, yeah they get banned in tournaments, but I mean. But still, people can slip it in and not get noticed. Yeah, yeah I mean, this other crazy stuff. But yeah, he but... said... Well, Sakurai said that they do want to be able to fix those things. Um, he he admitted that there were imbalances and bugs... Not bugs, but, you know, exploits in past versions of Smash Bros. Yeah, there Bros. were. Yeah. And he's hoping that... Uh, he's not saying it's going to happen for sure, but patches are something we definitely like to be able to do if possible. So they're in. <laughs> like, I don't know... There's no, like, you know, just put a plug-in in the game, in the game that lets you hook in a patch. It's like how... New Super Mario Brothers U. They didn't announce that could have DLC, but then one day, magically, New Super Luigi became a thing. So, you know, if you leave the hook in place for the patch to hook into, then why not? 
So that's all, like, kind of speculative things of what could happen with Smash Bros., but we did, actually, just today, today we're recording this on Friday and of the weekend, and just today we got, well, now it's Saturday, it's 2.30, it's 2 in the morning, but uh, just today we got word of Captain Olimar officially coming back to Smash Bros. He will be in Smash Bros. for Wii U and 3DS, although they've only showed screenshots of Olimar and his Pikmin in the Wii U version, which is kind of interesting. All the other characters, they have a mix of screenshots. Olimar's only Wii U. Kind of full. Lifa Trina doesn't have 3DS versions of herself. Though. Oh, does she? Not no. yet? Oh, well. It's weird. I mean, then never mind. I guess it's not all of them. But a lot of them have both. Yeah. So it kind of it kind of plays into an interesting situation where Sakurai, as we've talked about in past episodes, was saying they might have to cut back on some characters due to technical limitations of the 3DS. And everyone is, everyone was working on the assumption, oh, he means character, multi-character. Like, he basically said characters that are multiple moving parts. So Ice Climbers, that sort of thing. But now if Olimar's on board... Pokemon Trainer? Well, I mean, that's... Yeah, to some extent. I mean, that would... That's a little the, the, simpler, because he's a static... He could just be a static background. Oh, no, I mean, not only that, but I mean... I can understand Zelda and Sheik, because, I mean, that's two yeah. characters that it's holding in reserve, but Pokemon Trainer has three. No, but I, I think mean, the... I yeah, but, I mean, I think the bigger... But they all share... Yeah, but I think the issue is animating both at the no, same yeah, time. No, yeah, I mean, Ice Climbers, you literally have two characters. Yeah, like, I like, mean, and they it's are, like you clone-stamped one of them. Like, yeah, and they have their own percentages that are kept differently, even yeah. though you don't see manners. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so everyone was assuming, oh, that's what he meant, and I think he even said that, but now that Olimar is his Pikmin, which are all separately animated, that bodes well for other multi-parted characters like the Ice Climbers or, like, Pokemon Trainer or who, whatever else they may come up with, yeah. so... It bodes better. It bodes better, yeah. But I don't say it's still much of a... Yeah, I could go either way, because, I mean, you're making this point to me when we were talking about this before the recording, but, um... The Pikmin are nowhere near as complicated of an animation or a, of a moving part as the double ice climbers. Yeah. Because, so. I mean, a lot of the Pikmin do a lot of attacks for Olimar, so Olimar doesn't even have, like, actual yeah. hit boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's definitely, it'll be interesting to see if ice climbers come back, but, I mean, Olimar is a step in the right direction. And it's cool yeah. that he's back, because he's a fun character. Did he always with. have a whistle on his helmet? A whistle on his helmet? yeah. Because when I was I looking remember. at the images for this new Smash Bros. for Olimar, yeah. I'm like, whoa, he has a whistle inside his helmet. I don't remember I don't think I ever noticed before. it before. And if it did, then it defeats the purpose of the helmet because the whistle has a hole in it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like whatever, but... Yeah, I, I don't remember ever seeing that before. I don't think he did. There's the power of the Wii U for you. They can add whistles. Yeah. <laughs> Bells and whistles of the Wii U, literally. Um, you know, the announcement of Olimar actually wasn't a coincidence. Like, there's a reason it was today of all days, and that's that the Japanese launched Pikmin 3s this weekend. It actually just launched in Japan, so to tie in with that, um, they announced Olimar. Which makes me wonder what they'll announce when other games start coming out going forward. Hmm. You never know. And when Pikmin gets released on the eShop. Well, more like, more like, uh, well, Pikmin, we know we have Olimar. It'd be more like Wonderful 101 comes up, or I guess finally have a character from there in there. In Smash Bros, or like, uh, Wind Waker HD is coming out, or they going to announce Toon Link's return. Uh, new Super Mario 3D World is out, or they going to announce new catsuit move from Mario. Or just like, a costume. Or just costumes or something. Like, they can tie these, it seems like instead of doing daily updates with the dojo, they're now doing more thematic. Like, they pick, they time it as marketing moves. Well, hopefully they do that, because so far it's kind of been like, oh. It's been quiet. It's just been speculative things. No, I mean, like, just the pictures they release a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has his daily photos on the Amigurus, yeah. Dojo's yeah. yeah. been more, was more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Because Dojo, he gave insight, and it was, Even like, it was just every day at midnight, it was just like, boom, here's something. But, I mean, he did warn us they'd be talking less than with yeah. Dojo. 
But uh, while we're on the topic of Pikmin 3, sort of, it's probably worth mentioning that we did learn a new little marketing move Nintendo's doing, and that is uh, there's going to be a special hands-on event for Pikmin 3 coming up on Saturday, July 20th at 250-plus different GameStops and EB games around the U.S. and Canada. So how it's going to work is you go, you try out the game, and if you like the game, you can pre-order it on the spot, but you pre-order the digital version. And then as a bonus for pre-ordering the digital version, you get to download it on Saturday, August 3rd, instead of Sunday, August 4th. But only if you're at the event, and only if you pre-order at the event. And this is actually a really genius way of not making the retailers feel left out of all of the eShop initiatives that Nintendo's now doing. Because Nintendo's basically, you know, the retailers are getting their retail cut, but Nintendo's still getting the perks of the digital distribution. So it's kind of like a way, like they're getting, the retailers get the foot traffic of people going to the store and browsing and playing Pikmin, and they get their cut of the pre-order, presumably, of, you know, presumably, because I think you're paying in full. Yeah, because they're selling Yeah, you're paying in full. Nintendo copies. They're paying them, a yeah. game. But then Nintendo gets the advantage of they don't actually have to produce the disc or the art or the box. They don't have to ship it. They have a guaranteed purchase before it's even out entirely, like full price. So that's money that they can start building interest on already in the bank. So, like, it's really a win-win, and this, I, because I think, was it two episodes ago, we were talking about how Reggie was saying Nintendo still relies very heavily on retail, and that's not going away? I think this is what he meant by that. Like, they're doing stuff like this, because this is literally the exact same. Yeah, they could easily do this for almost, like, yeah. every big game. So. It falls in the footsteps of the Nintendo experience at Best Buy during E3 perfectly. Like, that, Best Buy got a chance to have extra foot traffic, and they were able to drum up pre-orders and whatnot off all that stuff, and so we used. And now here we are a month later, No, I, don't, I almost bought a Blu-ray just because I was there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, it makes sense that Nintendo's doing this. They just didn't have it. <laughs> yeah. And also, oh, the Blu-ray, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, the other thing about this is it's just a cool way for Nintendo to reach out to fans beyond, you know, specialized events like PAX or Comic-Con or whatever. Because, you know, the public can go to those, but only so many people can go to those. Tickets sell out. There's not room. But now Nintendo's literally bringing it to, like, every city, in the, every major city in the country and... It's an easy way for them to draw up interest and keep their retailers happy. So really, it's a win-win. I hope they keep doing this. I hope they do one for Marvel 101. I hope they do one for Wind Waker HD. I hope this becomes like a regular routine that they do like preview events. Yeah. I think the last time... We need more things to go to. Yeah, exactly. I think the last time that they did something of this scale, like not the Best Buy experience, nothing where they took over like you know and had multiple games. I think the last time they did like a mini event like this was... Uh, Rhythm Heaven? No. That was pretty official. What did they do for Rhythm Heaven at GameStop? Oh, never mind. That wasn't GameStop. No, no, no. I meant like, I meant like at retailers. meant like a Nintendo Oh, no, no. Yeah, they did a Rhythm Heaven launch event here in LA. But no, I meant, um, like, for retail, I think the last one they did was for when the DSi came out back in 09. They gave Club Nintendo members a chance to visit select GameStops on a certain day, try it out for themselves. Nintendo reps were there with systems like a week or two before launch, and they gave out, like, free swag and stuff. And this is kind of in that same vein. It's just public. So I hope they don't wait three years to do this again. Or four years to do this again. I hope it becomes a regular thing. Hmm. So that's Pikmin. Um, switching yeah. gears entirely, actually going back to interviews a bit. Uh, Eiji Anuma, Mr. Zelda at Nintendo, head of the Zelda team. He was actually he actually had a pretty lengthy interview with Wired that was recently published on their website. And it offered some interesting insight into A Link Between Worlds for the 3DS, Wind Waker HD, and even a little bit on the eventual original Zelda title for Wii U. So, uh, you know, I thought, or we thought, that there are some things maybe worth mentioning. Just to, you know, because these, these games are big deals. They're Zelda. So then he offered some tantalizing tidbits, if you will. So, um, one game that we've barely talked about 
here on the show since it was announced is <laughs> oh, Gesundheit is uh, Zelda Link Between Worlds for the 3DS. It kind of got overshadowed by all the Wii U coverage we've been doing. I, don't, I, I honestly forgot that was coming out. Yeah, it's coming out in November. It's, a, it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> we just didn't give it the attention it deserves. But uh, luckily, Wired chose to focus on it a little more than we did. And they were uh, asking Enuma various questions about the game and really more about how it came to be than what it entails because we know pretty much what it is. It's top-down Zelda with a cool 3D effect, and you can now move around on walls as a painting or a Hyrule glyphic, as we've dubbed it before. So we knew that. But what we're now learning is stuff about what led to it being this opposed to a full 3D game like Ocarina of Time or a touch-driven game like Phantom Hourglass. And it turns out it was simply Miyamoto tasking Anuma with making a 3D link to the past and Anuma going, I don't want to do a remake, and deciding to make a sequel and including another developer's idea of what if Link could go on walls. So he, that's literally all it was. Like, a new was like, I don't want to. Yeah, he's literally like, I want to do more than just a remake. We already did Ocarina of Time. So the idea was, and what if we could... Wind Waker yeah. and... Well, yeah. Then, yeah. It went a bit no, nuts. No. Yeah, so the, the idea of his, which is actually kind of cool, it's like, well, we made 3D handheld Zeldas with Ocarina of Time's remake, and we made 2D handheld Zeldas with the DS games. What well, if we combine them? So he took the 2D perspective of... Uh, Link to the Past, and, like, Phantom Hourglass and all that, and combined it, kind of, with the 3D of Ocarina of Time with the wall movement, because then it switches to kind of an Ocarina of Time camera angle. So it's kind of bringing together the best of both worlds. And he also confirmed, in case anyone was wondering, that it has full digital control. So, obviously, Link to the Past only had a D-pad. This, you can move 360 degrees any which way. So, hooray, analog sticks. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um... And he wasn't. He wasn't. He was actually wasn't even sure if this was the right approach for the game. Like he was worried that like the top down would be kind of too old fashioned and people wouldn't latch on. But then he saw Mario 3D Land's positive reception, specifically that Mar- that Zelda inspired level in Mario 3D Land. And he's like, oh, uh-huh. well, people like that. I'm on the right track. And that's when they actually started like really fleshing out the game beyond prototype phase. So kind of interesting that Mario 3D Land inspired this game to go forward. Hmm. Like who would have thought? Like, the it, the Mario 3D Land level that was inspired by A Link to the Past is what led to the sequel of A Link to the Past to actually be what it is. Kind of there's been a lot of people that are really excited about that game. Yeah. It's, I'm really excited about it. The 3D looks super cool. It, it does. I don't know. You don't seem that excited. I don't, I don't know. Like, something's wrong with me. I just, I'm, I'm just <laughs> you don't seem to get excited until, like, right when it comes out. That's what I've noticed. Well, no, no. Not for 2D Zelda. I don't think I've ever... The only 2D... Yeah, I guess we'll just call that 2D Zelda. Yeah. Um, the only 2D Zelda game I was ever excited for was Minish Cap. I just can't get myself to play Link to the Past or Link's Awakening. Right. What about the Oracle games? Have you gotten those on your phone, on the uh, 3DS eShop? No. See, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just not that Oracle's big. really cool. You would like Oracle. It's from the Minish Cap people. It was the first game they did. Oh. See, well, I don't, And I don't... The, the Minish Cap people did Four Swords, prior to Minish Cap, Four Swords, and then Oracle of Ages and Seasons even before that. Yeah, I think I'll just try to play the Capcom ones because I have forced so, myself to kind of play through Link's Awakening and right. mm, Link to the Past, but I, yeah. I just can't finish it's them. It's just I not just, your cup of tea. Yeah, I don't know. Just, so that's so the same thing with this one. Like when I saw the trailer, I'm like, oh, it's, it's cool that it's happening, but I, yeah. I don't think I'm going to get it. Oh, I know. I'm getting, I'm super excited about it. I don't know why because like, I don't finish any Zelda game. <laughs> I mean, my brother's getting it, but, so I'll, right. I'll see. It just looks. I just sure. like how fast-paced this one is. I mean, well, here's the thing. We're going to be at Comic-Con in a week. And Nintendo has their gaming lounge again this year. They haven't announced the lineup. I'm pretty sure this will be there. So we'll 
And it'll be interesting to have our contrasting opinions because I'm super excited about it and you're kind of... Yeah, I mean, I, I still want to try So, it yeah, we're going to... We'll have those full impressions for all you listeners um, in our next episode. Doesn't it come out the same month as, like... November. Wind Waker each time? No, it's the month after. Oh. It's it's not... It, it still it's, comes it's out It's a little same. worse than Mario... New Super Mario Brothers 2 and New Super Mario Brothers U being three months apart. It still comes out the same month as another... <laughs> uh, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Ah, They're like going to be a week... I guarantee. Zelda uh, in the second week of November... Maybe the third... No. Zelda will be out, like, the 15th of November, or, like, around then, and then Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze will be out, like, the 21st. Like, whatever the, those two Sundays are on either end of that week, that's when they'll be out. Mm. Mark my words. And my wallet Mark thought them. Steam sales were the only things to Mark. fear. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so we'll have impressions of A Link to the Past at... When we go to Comic-Con, uh, so next episode. And one thing that I knew I was saying in the interview, actually, about it... Did I say A Link to the Past? A Link Between Worlds. And one thing that I knew I was saying is that actually, and a lot of impressions are saying this, is that the game, when you're first playing it, feels a lot like A Link to the Past, almost too much so. But no. then once you start <laughs> but once you start doing the puzzles involving the wall painting, the Hyrule Glyphic, as I still like to call it, um, more so than even two minutes ago when I first said it, uh, that's when like, you start going, oh, this is different, because like you think you're stuck. Because like, you like, didn't do that in the first game. Yeah, because <laughs> you think you're stuck, and like, well, there's a window over there, but what, what am I going to do with the window? And they're like, I can go through the window. So he, uh, Anuma actually wants to create a whole lot of those, I'm stuck, oh wait a second, moments throughout the game. So hopefully they get a little more complicated than just, there's a window I didn't think of. But Watch, it's probably going to be like a like a very tiny crack on the sliver. Yeah, and you have to like sliver through it, it, or go through the sliver, yeah. But moving over to Wii U, uh, we kind of touched on this, there is Wind Waker HD coming out the month before, A Link Between Worlds, and... Its backstory is, I would say, almost just as interesting, if not more so. So, originally, the game was created just to prototype what an HD Zelda could look like for the original Zelda Sun development for Wii U. And they actually started with Twilight Princess and Skyward Sword and putting them into HD. And as, I knew, as Anuma put it, the result was, hmm, those are semi-realistic representations of the Zelda world. So we weren't really surprised with what we got. Which kind of makes sense. Just like, well, if you up the... You know, if you uh, scale up the Man, textures, they'll look the same. What it looks like in HD. You did. E3 2011, the Zelda, de- the Zelda lighting demo they showed. Well, then I want to see That's what Skyward Sword looked like. Oh. Look at the dolphin emulator screenshots on the web. Literally, it's just upscaled. But, yeah. um, yeah, but when they did Wind Waker... Wait, don't we just have to play it on the Wii U then? Because doesn't it upscale to no. HD? No. Pretty sure it does. It upscales the... Image? It kind of... It doesn't upscale the game... It's, it doesn't upscale... I think it just... Let me check. <laughs> it does something. It does something. I don't think it fully upscales, because that would be a much bigger deal. Um, yeah, we would have heard about it. But no. Yeah, I'm, I'm checking. Oh, well, it does. Hold on. Corn IGN. IGN forums. Yes, you're listening to us read a forum thread. <laughs> this is totally worth your time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, what, what it does is... Uh, Please be patient. Thanks, Iwata. Uh, what it does is... It does scale them, but it's not like to full 1080p or, or anything, which is what uh-huh. the demo was. But um, what they when they got to Wind Waker, when they, ups, when they HD-ified it, they actually thought it looked significantly better than, you know, just enhanced textures. Because, you know, it was rounded off and Definitely everything. Definitely does. Yeah. So that's when Anumo was like, oh, we should totally make this... You know, we should we totally... We money from this. Well, it's more like we could totally do this, because this, to him, he was saying that this is... Um, this is kind of what Wind Waker should have been. Like, he was saying that it might have been ahead of its time. Like, on GameCube, they might not have been able... This is the look they wanted. And on GameCube, they had the look they had. 
But this is kind of what the vision of what could have been really was. So here we are a decade later, and now they're fulfilling the dream of this flat cell shading of the GameCube version. At least that's what he was saying. So I only mind. had a taste of Wind Waker. Now yes, I get to play a, the real taste. deal. You had, an app, you had a sampling, and now you get to play a main course of the same game. <laughs> <laughs> your, your sample happened to be the size of a main course. But it was only a sample, <laughs> they swear. Uh, but yeah, the, the interviewer of Enuma, uh, Chris Kohler over at Wired, and, and Enuma himself, actually had a little back and forth about like was Wind Waker ahead of his time. And they actually raised a really good point that I never really thought of, and that's... Wind Waker, as we all know, was very controversial when it came out. Everyone's like, this isn't the Zelda I want. It's kitty. It's cartoony. Yeah. Even hardcore but, Zelda fans that I knew yeah, didn't everyone, even play it. Yeah, Someone. everyone like backlash, which is awful because it's such a good game. Mm. But um, they're making Especially the point... Especially what turned me onto it. I didn't play Ocarina of Time because... The look? Well, I don't know. I guess I just never got to Zelda until Wind Waker, which got me into Ocarina of Time because if you pre-ordered right, it, right. you got the disc. And I'm like, oh, Zelda's cool after all. Yeah, yeah. But really, that's how you <laughs> you're, you're playing. You're like, gee, I understand this now. <laughs> but no, um, what I was gonna say is they made a good point that Wind Waker came out in an era where the graphic style wasn't appreciated as much. That was like the graphic. Killer Seven was also yeah. Killer also... Seven had the same problem. They they came out in an era when this is me kind of adding to what they're saying. They're saying it was ahead of its time, and maybe you know it wasn't the right environment for the game and i think it's because if you look at uh if you look at the ps2 generation that was like the graphics arm race like everyone was like oh i have the most photorealistic real oh, graphics GTA look what i can do yeah the gran turismo yeah look at grant yeah grant that's all did not have that good of graphics well, compared yeah but like yeah it's like look, look, at gran, <laughs> look at gran turismo look at how the xbox is more powerful than the ps2 and the gamecube somewhere in the middle which one's the most powerful which one can do the best graphics if that mattered and now here we are 10 years later where graphics are really photorealistic, especially with Xbox One and PS4 coming out. No, you out. look at what they were arguing with back then. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah, and now... They the didn't main... even have fingers. Exactly. <laughs> and now people are not even con- that concerned about the lo- the photorealism. It's more about the art style. Like, every indie game that comes out, there's not like... Obviously, the budgets are holding them back a little, but they're going for different styles of art. They are pieces... They're like... The art is what interests them, not the photorealism. So if Wind Waker came out today, it would fit in perfectly. But because it came out then, during a time where everyone's fighting the photorealism battle, that's when I think that's I think partly why people were, like were so taken aback and so against it. And yeah. it seems like they were saying the same thing in the interview because they're saying it was ahead of its time in terms of technology and in terms of where the industry was at. So it kind of yeah. makes sense. And Zelda always seems to be the game that people want as gritty and dark and realistic. Yeah. As, I mean, just look at that reaction for Zelda. Yeah. Twilight That's why they did Twilight Princess. Uh, he's he, Anuma to go made right that, here. Have your yeah, game. Anuma made that point that Twilight Princess was made in the style it was because people wanted it that way. But now he thinks a decade later people better appreciate Wind Waker, <laughs> which is true. They do. We gave you what you wanted. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like he was he was saying in the interview that the initial backlash for Wind Waker almost made Wind Waker HD not happen because Nintendo, when he suggested it to the higher ups, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Big guy, so much mm-hmm. like so many people gave us a hard time about that, and it wasn't until NOA came. It's okay, in. people like it now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, literally, Nintendo of America came in and I was like, no, 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 the West likes Toon Link. It's cool, <laughs> and he's like, see, and Nintendo Japan's like, all right, <laughs> so fine, you win this one, Anuma. But yeah, so it's it's interesting. Wait, that was the case, and why they put? Well, never mind. I was gonna say, why they put Toon Link and Smash Bros? Because that's a Japanese decision. If he wasn't that popular with character. Well, no, no, no. It's more it... like, they were saying, why are you remaking Wind Waker? Because, I mean, Toon Link lives on in the DS one. Oh, yeah, that's true. But why are you re- remaking Wind Waker? a lot of games. So. It's three. 
Oh, I mean, he also has... He's pretty much a Four Swords guy. He's a Minish Cap guy. Yeah, true. He has two DS... He games. also has Tetra Trackers in Japan on the GameCube. Two, three, four... <laughs> he's like in six, yeah. Five, six games. Yeah, yeah but... Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that Wind Waker, like... Like, post-mortem, it really <laughs> was a game that, like, didn't fit its era. Like, it, if it came out as a... Like, halfway in the Wii's life... Opposed to halfway in the GameCube's life, well, it, it would have been a totally. If the roles reaction. got reversed, imagine if you yeah. got Twilight Princess when, right? And then actually, it probably would have gotten a similar backlash at first, but I think people would overcome it much quicker. Just because they already had Twilight Princess, yeah, or more like just art styles were more exper- are being experimented with more nowadays than they were then. Like well, yeah. then, it was all the best graphics you can make. Now well, it's that means it would have been on Wii and GameCube at the same time. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, who would have known how that would have went? Yeah. But... Full baton orchestration, yeah. It was supposed to have that. I think I've said this on the show before, but at yeah, the Wii... At same the, thing with that in Mario Sunshine, you said? Yeah, at the Wii launch event, I was chatting with a Nintendo person who told me that Mario Sunshine's use of spraying water and the baton and Wind Waker were there because they are prototyping what essentially became the Wii Remote as an accessory for the GameCube, and those games were going to be the ones that push it. It would have been a motion-sensing thing. I mean, it's pretty well known that the GameCube... The Wii was... Rid- the Wii Remote was originally a GameCube accessory that got repackaged as a new console when the GameCube, when Nintendo realized they can't turn around the GameCube. And like, let's just start from start fresh and do something like different. And the Blue Ocean strategy was adopted, where it's about going after new people, not the people you have. But at one point, Nintendo announced at one e three, we're gonna have a brand new revolutionary, like big deal accessory for the GameCube coming. Like they said a month or two before e three in the GameCube's life. At one point, we're gonna have this. It's gonna be huge. Trust us. Never happened. Then a couple years later, the Wii surfaces. No. And then it's Nintendo Rep tells me all this. You know, tells me these games are supposed to have it. So it all kind of pieces together. But, yeah. But back to Zelda and Wii U. Um, Anuma did give a couple hints about what's coming for the Wii U edition of Zelda. Uh, in particular, he gave two hints. One was uh, about multiplayer. He alluded to a multiplayer element that's more in line with the Tingle Bottles in Wind Waker HD, where you're just exchanging data, but you're still playing solo. Than like a Four Swords experience oh, where you're all yeah. playing at so once. I was thinking like, oh, the moment he said like multiplayer, that means we're gonna get two links. Yeah, no, he, uh, cool. yeah, he believes that Zelda is has a as he put one link philosophy where it's a one put. It's like there's one link and you're that link. You can't have all these different links. Like Four Swords kind of work because they split link and then put them back together. Like he's like, I don't know, some sort of splittable thing. <laughs> but um, but. Yeah, his, his main thing is Link is a single guy. You can't have multiplayer in that way. So I'm perfectly cool with this because it fits my idea. When we first talked about what Zelda we Together alone? Huh? To get play together, together alone, yeah. Nintendo's philosophy of why uh, what the Wii was supposed to do is bring people together even there. You know. Anyway, uh, no, I'm cool with them doing a Tingle Ball sort of deal with when Zelda U because that kind of fits in the thing I was saying during our E3 episode about like wouldn't it be cool if they did like an item ex- like an item exchange thing where you could send items to your Miiverse friends or something to like help them overcome issues they may have. Like potions or, you know, little items. Nothing major, but just the ability to send items as opposed to just notes or attached things. Could be yeah, kind of neat. Cool. Yeah, it could be neat. And then, uh, so there's that. And then he also discussed, this one's actually really, leads to a bigger question. And that's that he discussed the fickleness of uh, gamers in general and how to appeal to both those who want off-TV play because they insist, oh, I don't care about the second screen, I just want to be able to play, if, you know, regardless of my TV. And those who are like, well, I want the dual screens to do something, because I have this second screen, it should be used for more than just a mirror of my TV. Because, you know, if you have one, you can't easily have the other. 
if you do off TV play, everything that's on that second screen doesn't have to be on that second screen because it won't be there for off TV play. It has to all yeah. be optional menus and optional things. So it's kind of like Nintendo's this double-edged sword of like, do they do off TV or do they do second screen? You can't really do both. And uh, Anuma was saying that he has to figure out a way to appeal to both, which sounds an awful lot like the gamepad's not. Maybe, like, I don't know, I guess maybe they could create an experience that makes the gamepad more convenient, but it's still yeah. possible. Because, I mean... I think that's what it's going to be. Like, like, like Monster Hunter, I mean, that game's existed on a single screen basis, but on the Wii U, I think a second screen really does help the game immensely. It's like, primarily for I'm menus. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, I think, yeah, like, the, there's some menus that, there's too many commands on that, in that game. Yeah. That they actually have to, like, put some on the start menu, and then your buttons do other things when you're in that start menu. Well, yeah, that's how so, it is with, uh, I mean, Wind Waker HD, when we played it at the Nintendo Experience, all your items and everything, touchscreen, you can move them, you can assign yeah. them, whatnot, with your finger. I think which is, brother said that, like, that game definitely needed a second screen or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but then yeah. at the same time, you have off-TV play in Wind Waker, and then you just hit pause, and you have the old menu. Yeah. So, so like, works, that's probably the trade-off yeah. that Anu was talking about, where it's, like, a little of each. Yeah. Like, you have it, but it's not really there. But it kind of leads to a bigger question of, in the long run, which one's more important for, like, the success of the Wii U and, like, new game experiences? Because on the one hand, you know, off-TV play is awesome, You're but... You're shooting asymmetric gameplay in the foot. Yeah, they are. And, and not only that, but, like, off-TV play is cool. Like, it is really nice. But it's leading to kind of a lack of, like, innovation on Nintendo's games. Like, Mario Kart 8, it's a map and a horn. Donkey Kong Country uh, Tropical Freeze... I don't even know what it's for. It's not used. You can play with the Wiimote nunchuck. I'm going to have a feeling it just either mirrors it or it's going to show you that little pass that it does yeah. on, the, on the 3DS. Oh, yeah, the map. Yeah, yeah. just like the little icon. A map of a how, 2D how space, which is totally pointless. Uh, Mario 3D World, It okay, sure, you can like rub your finger over hidden blocks to make it appear. But besides that, it's mirroring the screen. Like None of these are really using the second screen in all that good of a way. And it's kind of like, is that hurting the Wii U? I feel like it could be. I mean... Like, you have all this... There'll be a point if this keeps up where there's going to be, or should have just been a more powerful system you didn't need it after all. Yeah, because, I mean, literally... It does come in handy, though. Like, it for does. those people that have a Wii U understand, like, I share my TV a lot with my brother, so I do do off-screenplay off off a lot. Off-TV play, yeah. Uh, Off-TV play a lot, mainly when I have to, but yeah. it's really nice that it's there, but... See, I've done it, too. Like, I could, I, could I have like... just waited... Yes. Yeah. But no, I don't want to. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like, would you rather be able to not have to wait versus have some crazy unique experience that you wouldn't have been able to have otherwise? (sighs) And even then, are they... Yeah, that's the problem. (laughs) And it's kind of like... And not only that, but it's just like, if they only do off-TV play, then it kind of boils down to your original question of why is the controller there It does kind of suck. It's a horrible... It's a catch-22 they're stuck in. It's like, oh, like, I honestly wouldn't care if, like, third parties didn't even do anything with the, with the gamepad, just yeah. port over their games. But at the same time, it's like, oh, if they're pointing to the Wii U, it's not, we're not going to use it. Yeah, and the thing with third then, parties like, is yeah, they have gonna, to now It's going to be held against them for not yep. using it, even though we're telling them, oh, don't even use it. And not only that, but if they have to use it in some way, the fact that they have to add menus or something to that second screen is more mm-hmm. development resources, which is resources that, you know, when they port it to... PS3 or 360. Is it possible for them to like? I mean, I know a lot of people wouldn't even like this, but like a I mean, picture in picture of this. Well, well, not even that, but just like um, when you when you select this game, the the screen just turns off because it's black. 
And you could. I don't see why not. I know. And then they, then they kind of solve a lot of their problems. Like, oh, yeah. we don't even have to develop the screen. You could just shut it off. But you know that raises a bigger and issue. Then of, it would so be why buy a Wii. And it'd be a feature on the back of the game. It'd be like, oh, it supports Game Pass functionality. Yeah. Yeah, but that's kind of like, then what's the point of the Wii? Like, if, to us, obviously, oh, we're playing Nintendo games. That's why. We get first-party Nintendo experience. We get some coy Let's back to that Reggie. Yeah. Which, um, which Reggie? Jeff Keighley interview. The whole Nintendo delivery system thing. Yeah, and the yeah. system's a Nintendo delivery system and nothing more. And we know that. But, like, if you're an, an average consumer and you're like, okay, so I have, this console has doesn't have all these, like, game DVR features. You can't, like, it's not connected to the cloud. It can't do this. It can't do that. But it has this touchscreen that's only half used. Why am I paying for that? Like, it's just, like, this is why Nintendo, I think, is struggling with their marketing message so much, is I don't even think they know how to use the screen. And what's really interesting... I mean, it's wonderful 101 is trying. Yeah, but even then, all the touchscreen stuff you can me- is also with the right stick. Oh, that's right. So it undermines it. And, uh, I mean, then, we're not uh, the only ones to notice yeah. this. To notice this. I mean, Anuma pointed out, and Game Informer actually uh, noticed the same thing about, like, DK Tropical Freeze and Pikmin, you know, Pikmin 3, both of them are encouraging Wiimote Nunchuck. Like, Addy 3, you can only demo them with Wiimote Nunchuck, not with the gamepad, which is even more I know, bizarre. I remember I said, can you use the gamepad? Like, oh no, it's just your map. Yeah, like, it's, oh, okay. it's super okay. weird, yeah. <laughs> and and they actually asked, they were interviewing Miyamoto, and they asked him, like, what's, you know, what what's up with the gamepad? And he had a very, very strange response, to, in my opinion. Here's, here's what he said. Uh... Really, for Wii U, where we look at the benefit of the gamepad screen, is we really look at it as sort of a requirement in terms of how we're handling menus and subscreens within the games, just to make the games more convenient and easier to play. Miyamoto is saying that the thing that's making the system, you know, we, we spent all this money on this R&D, and this unique feature is to hold your menus. Miyamoto is saying this. The, you know, mm-hmm. video game mastermind. That's kind of mind-boggling to me. Like, what happened to asymmetric gameplay? Where'd it go? Like, I know Nintendo's not using that term anymore. They said that recently, that uh, the term's confusing, no one knows what it means, but... So we'll still get... I'm sure we'll still get, like, game and... You know, uh, Nintendo Land-style games where you're on different screens doing different things, or Game & Wario, or Wii Party does some interesting stuff. With, yeah, because some of things U are just... I mean, they're so fun, and you... There's literally no way you can have yeah. this experience. Yeah, anywhere. because you have the one person that's isolated from the others yeah. and it creates a cool experience. But So those will still be there. But he's now saying the main purpose of it is to hold menus. It just strikes me as very strange. Kind of backwards. It just is really weird. Like, I don't know if he was overly simplifying things or if, like, he just misspoke or was mistranslated. But that is, like, the strangest thing to have a guy go... It depends. Yeah, that unique system we... Did they say what his facial expression was? No, they was didn't. he serious or did he have they a chuckle didn't. after? No, there was even no, then... It there was no chuckle to... in parentheses or anything? No, it'd have to be a chuckle from Bill Trennan as well. Because even if Miyamo chuckles and Bill doesn't, his translator, then then there's confusion. Like, which one's a joke and which one's a... <laughs> like, but who's joking and who's serious? But no, it's just like... I'm sure he misspoke. And I'm sure we're still going to get cool, like, unique two-screen experiences, but it's just very weird to hear the guy that was championing all the new things they can do with the gamepad screen and all the new experiences, then literally less than a year later go, yeah, about that, it's pretty good for menus. I guess you could do maps, too. Yeah, Pikmin 3 <laughs> is a map. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know, it just strikes me as super weird. But, uh... A lot of the things they've been describing with Pikmin 3, though, and the gamepad... No, actually, the gamepad's amazing for Pikmin 3. Yeah, even, in terms of like like even when you just scroll the map like it'll pause the game instantly the second you touch the map and you can like designate 
captains go different places just by tapping. Yeah, it's, it's uh, super it, cool. It, it looks awesome. Like, I'm definitely just going to play with the gamepad. Well, what they were recommending, what me and Mo was recommending, I don't remember if it was this, this interview or a different one. She was saying, for Pikmin 3, consider having the gamepad next to you and using a Wiimote nunchuck. Wiimote with Motion Plus gives you extra precise aiming, so you can aim at specific body parts, like Bulborbs now. If you hit them in the eye, that's where that meme comes from. He's like, don't, like attack the eye or whatever it was a hint. Uh, yeah it, if you aim at their eye you'll blind them and they'll go down faster no, no, versus also, if you aim at the ground also being able to like run in one direction and throw the Pikmin yeah. in the other or you could do like a shake of the nunchuck and all the Pikmin around you will storm an enemy which I'm sure they have a button for but he was yeah. recommending you have both but obviously that's a little complicated yeah I think I'm so just gonna I think I'm just gonna do gamepad after pitching especially why like considering like how much I played Pikmin 2 like after 100%ing it like yeah. I, I got too used to the GameCube controller it's like a Smash yeah. Bros thing like well that's what he was he was oh. kind of saying that like for novices the Wiimote Nunchuck is better but for more expert gamers you could do just fine with the gamepad and ultimately just play with the gamepad yeah so but yeah, but yeah, it is like Smash Brothers, where it's like different control schemes for different levels, and if you master one, that's the one you're going to Yeah, like with. I've seen people that didn't really play Melee that much do really well with just Wiimote Nunchuck, or even yeah. just Wiimote. Yeah, we saw that Expo. Yeah. There's like, a guy in a tournament, like, who won with a Wiimote Nunchuck, and it was, I yeah, couldn't so, so process just, what was happening. <laughs> yeah, so it's just what you play with. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, but, um, you know, in that, actually in that same, kind of switching gears, like, I don't know what to say about... Nintendo's treatment of the gamepad is one of those things you just have to wait and see. I think beyond even like this Falls lineup in Smash Bros. and Mario Kart. But uh, one thing that is worth knowing is in that Game Informer interview, Miyamoto did allude to the return of the Galaxy series for Mario, which is kind of nice. He actually, uh, it came up when discussing Galaxy one... Galaxy series in particular? Or yeah, just Galaxy in particular. Full 3D platform. Galaxy. Hmm. Here's what he said. He said that, uh, well, first, background. They asked him why did they go with 3D World, Mario 3D World, in a Mario 3D Land style game over a galaxy. And he was saying it's about broad appeal because, uh, you know, multiplayer Mario 3D World is easier to pick up and play unless there's less to it in terms of understanding how it works than Galaxy where you're upside down one second and you're shooting sideways the next and you're running in circles around a globe and whatnot. So what he told them was... Uh, we still have, obviously, the Galaxy series, and there's a possibility that in the future we may look to explore what else we can do with the Galaxy series. For us, it was really about trying to find the right 3D Mario space in which we're going to allow the widest audience to play. Oh. That's why it's 3D World. I mean, it makes sense. Because right now they're trying to build out the base as quickly oh, yeah, as I mean, they, they can. Have, they have to make people want the Wii U. Yeah. As many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all about building out the widest space, and how you do that, you do the most mass appealing Mario game. They already did 2D. They can't do that again, so they're doing the second best, yeah, which is 2.5D. Kind of <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I really do hope, though, that... I mean, obviously, he's not saying it is coming back. It's kind of like, well, it could. But I hope he, there's more to it than just maybe, because I love the Galaxy games. I've come to realize, like, now that it's been a few years since they came out, and I've been able to like, kind of digest them, that uh, I think they're probably... Mario World's still my... Super Mario World's still my all-time favorite game, but in terms of, like, favorite set of Mario's, I think the Galaxy games, like, I know that kind of contradicts, but I really like the Galaxy games, like, a lot. They are Galaxy amazing. 2 is amazing. I would love for them to bring it back. Very few games. Make yeah. excited for those. I know, it's just such good games. And that wasn't actually the only game he alluded to, either. Um, he, was, he was speaking with Famitsu, and, uh, which, is ja which is a Japanese gaming magazine, and uh, he confirmed, he being Mimo, that there's also an entirely new franchise coming to the Wii U sometime next year. So not only are we seeing a huge onslaught of Nintendo's probably bigger properties this year, but they're going to try and bring some new faces 
new new IPs, new whatever, to the console next so year. So it wasn't Retro that was working on a new IP? It was Nintendo. It was Miyamoto, actually. He said that looking ahead to 2014, um, with the release of Mario Kart 8, we'll have a general selection available. So I've been thinking it would be a good time to bring out a new franchise. And then he went on to say that it's how he's current, that's currently consuming a lot of his time. And when he says that, you know, those are because he's, like, nurturing. Right now, it's pick or you know, it's been Pikmin 3 and A Link Between Worlds. Uh, before that, it was, like, Nintendogs and We Fit. And now this is the next one. Which leads to an interesting question of, is it going to be a casual game or a core game? Like, are we going to see a new Pikmin or are we going to see a new Nintendogs? Nintendogs. Nintendogs. Nintendogs plus cats Ooh, plus birds plus reptiles. edition? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, don't get your hopes up. I mean, Nintendogs plus cats did not sell well, so... I don't think it wasn't birds. I don't think that's. They have the potential to use the mic for mimicking. It, you know, honestly, they should have just done Nintendo turtles. Just a turtle in a cage, a turtle in a ten turtles. Nintendo turtles. But yeah, I don't think that would. It, it would have been a very Nintendo slow. Turtles. It would have been a very slow paced game, but they'd have unlockable bandanas so you can make them into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Well, I think there's your appeal right there. Yep. I need. Yep, and they, and they'd sell them for. Uh, Forty dollars for a standard game, or, Tender, if, you pay, or if you get fifty dollars, you get a physical bandana to put on a physical turtle. Worth the extra ten, I'd say. But anyway, <laughs> no. But uh, it's it. I'm really curious what Miyamo is working on, like core or casual. It could it could really be anything. And I mean, this is the first hint that something's coming. But then actress Tura Iwata, Nintendo president, made similar comments that imply it might be a casual game, not a core game. During the uh, annual shareholder Q&A that Nintendo has once a year where all their investors and shareholders come together and get to ask questions that range from how are you going to handle, you know, third-party support to I really think you should make games that teach English. Because our prime minister here in Japan believes that teaching English is important. Also, you should go work in countries that are up and coming like Saudi Arabia. Isn't that where that game's coming out? That teach Which, English? That's already been out. English with some anime something. Yeah, that's already been now. It was on DS. But no, this guy, like, it's because it's investor. It's anyone with a share that owns a share in Nintendo or more can go to this meeting and just ask things. So Iwata and Miyamoto, mostly Iwata, were fielding. Just get share. Well, yeah, I know. Go there and get exclusive. But we, we were, uh, yeah, they're fielding questions. And then some of the questions are, like, legitimate. And some of them are really, like, there's a guy who literally just listed demands. It's like, the United Arab Emirates are an up-and-coming region, and a lot of Japanese, wealthy Japanese people send their kids there to learn. You should consider releasing games there, because it can bridge the gap between the Japanese kids and the local kids. And I was like, thanks for sharing. <laughs> like, what do you say to that? <laughs> so, uh, it's just weird. But what I was saying about this new franchise is that, uh, well, that's coming. He was being very cryptic, because Nintendo has this idea that when they um, have something new, something unique, they don't really want to reveal it too early because they don't want copycats and they want to have a, quote, strong impact as a result. So what I was saying is that right now they're focusing on the gamer games. They're focusing on the video games that matter to gamers and they're pumping them out rapid fire. That's why we have Wind Waker, Mario 3D World, Mario Kart, Smash Bros, all within the next year at most. And then, you know, Bayonetta and uh, Wonderful, 101. Wonderful 101 and X and all that. Those are the gamer games. But once they get that initial wave out, they can start branching out and focusing on other types of people, the casuals, other demographics, because they got the gamers. They gave them, like, eight games in a row. They're, they're okay for a while. They can go focus on other things. And that's what led them to talk about how in 2014, they're, quote, working on new types of games, but we'd like to announce them much closer to the actual release to avoid those copycat issues. So, so that's what he said. Uh, 
who knows what that means, but I assume that this explains why Nintendo's been so quiet on Wii Fit U, which is supposedly still coming in December. Because whatever they have for it, whatever the Fit Me is going to do that they haven't announced yet, or whatever new feature they're adding, is apparently so cool and so big deal that they're worried people will copy it. That's the only reason I can think of for why they're not sharing anything. It's, it's the other mini game that's not the fire hose one. It's just so amazingly mind-blowing. And you know what it is? You know that how they had the mini game where you have to like, be a waiter and carry things? Mm-hmm. The gamepad is now your tray. You have to actually hold the gamepad. And if it wobbles too much, your stuff falls. Double accelerometer, bounce board, and gamepad. <laughs> the future. Cool. No, oh, it, it and is then it has cool. your food on the screen. So you actually can see yeah. It. Actually, you're supposed to put real food on it. And you're just, Nintendo's going to sell uh, plastic food with NFC chips in it. You buy the food, you put it on the gamepad, and you have to balance real food in your living room. Oh, but with no mess. I forgot about NFC. Yeah, actually, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if wherever this new experience is, somehow, not the Wii Fit U one, the one I was alluding to some, has something to do with NFC. Because besides Pokemon Rumble U, they haven't done anything with NFC yet. But they said they're going to, so who knows. But that would explain why We Fit U has literally vanished. And uh, what, I, I'm really curious about the new experiences, though. Like, is it going to be... It has to be something that sells the, the Wii U in a unique way. Like, it has to be the counter of Miyamoto's we use the gamepad for menus argument. Like, this has to be the thing that's like, here's menus, why the game... Menus the game. Menus the game. It's just a series of menus. It's like a text-based adventure from, like, the 80s. <laughs> but no, it has to be something that, like, sells the gamepad as a device you need. Because then that nicely balances with Miyamoto's comment about, well, for core games, it's just a menu. <gasps> a game where on the screen, you have little children just watching you, and on the gamepad, it's just a book, and you have to read them. You have to make them go to sleep. That's why you don't design video games. <laughs> but, that's more of a WarioWare media. Yeah, that's right? totally like a WarioWare collectible. Or like a game in Wario, like unlockable attraction toy or whatever they call them. But uh, yeah, so who knows what it will be. But whatever it is, Nintendo better hope it's as big as, you know, the next mega hit. The next Wii Sports Brain Age type of deal. Or else, you know, they need something. Something yeah. that can push the gamepad and be a big hit for them. One experience I guarantee it won't be, though, is the Vitality Sensor. Uh, Iwata confirmed, no surprise here, that the Vitality Sensor will not be released anymore. Turns out, uh, while the tech is very cool, you know, it was a a a heart rate monitor, essentially. So it could detect when you're tense, when you're not. And uh, the problem was, 90 out of 100 people were able to use it correctly, but 10 out of those 100 weren't. And Nintendo has a commercial clearance. Curse you 10 people. I know. Nintendo will curse the technology for not working with those 10 people. But Nintendo has a clearance rate of 999 out of 1,000 people have to be able to use the product for it to be viable commercially, you know, without too many people wanting to send it back or return it or have to do a recall or anything like that. 999 out of 1,000? Yeah, that's the statistic they use. And he was saying that with 90 out of 100, obviously that's much lower, so they can't release it. But if they ever hit that higher goal, like if they toy with it in the future, they'll consider bringing it back. Which I kind of hope they do, because, like, it is a cool idea. I mean, imagine, like, if Zombie U... Or Resident Evil Revelations, like, you hooked on the vitality sensor, and, like, the way the zombies interact with you depends on how tense you are. Like, if you're showing that you're not very tense, they might not pick up on that, and they just kind of ignore you a little. But I know. then if you're acting very tense, and you're, like, all j- it game... makes your character jittery, and they kind of jump in more. I know it's a game that already kind of does it, but it does it with the microphone. I yeah, there's, uh, Dead Space. Dead Space for Connect on Xbox. Dead Space with Connect integration on Xbox 360. Mm. If you start cursing a lot, like, you're, like... Ah, oh, stupid zombie! Damn it! Da, da, da. it the, the game will like raise the tension. 
But actually, I could see the Vitality Sensor even being cool for, like, Splinter Cell or something. Like, you know, if... Because, like, the new Splinter Cell, Blacklist, like, it's, it's, you can choose to be sneaky or you can choose to, apparently, be be more, like, you know, gun... Well, what trigger happy? the wrong way to play? I don't know. But point being, either way, imagine if the Vitality Sensor existed, and if you're choosing to be sneaky, it keeps track of, like, how calm you are. And if you're too jittery, you start making more noise as you sneak around... And then that makes you get caught easier, and you might have no choice That's but true, to your aim could be... Or your aim could be wobbly. Yeah. yeah, there's so many cool things that they could have done, but alas, technology's not ready. So, we're not going to be seeing that. We will, however, see some uh, new Nintendo Network features, some new uh, online stuff. Mimo, or Mimo, excuse me, Iwata kept it as vague as possible, but he did say that he did reconfirm Mario Kart 8, Smash Bros. are both going on Wii U to have online play. He didn't mention 3DS Smash Bros, but I assume it has online. Um, hmm. And he said that they want to meet the expectations of customers, that they want to play together with people in different locations. In addition to that, if we can create an environment in Miiverse where users can play a game with each other without sharing the same time, and inspire that... Uh, wait, yeah. Well, that, that was the point. I lost myself in the quote. Basically, <laughs> he was saying that... Yeah, that was a horrible quote reading. Apologies. But he was essentially saying that... Um, asymmetric online multiplayer could happen. Which is cool, because, you know, Mario Kart has ghost data. You can download someone's ghost and race against it. But I think what he's getting to here is, like, in Mario Kart or whatever game, imagine if you could also, like, the Drive Avatars in that stupid name but kind of a cool concept. I think it's in Drive Club, the upcoming next-gen game, where, like, your the game will create an AI version of you for your friends to play whenever. Like, it'll, like, monitor how you play at all times and create like, an AI version based on your playing habits and race like you. I don't think the Wii U has the power to do that. I know, look, I know Marker 7 had a kind of similar... Well, they had, the, they had, like, the dynamic ghosts. I don't know what they were really called, but... Yeah, like, I remember, like, oh, you, if you, he, if you, he you used a lot of booze. Yeah. Like, oh, he, he's a banana blitzer, so he's always... All his items he gets are bananas. Yeah, or... but, like, with this, I mean, if... I Granted, I'm reading a lot more into this than what I said. He just said, you know, basically multiplayer at different times, but somehow still together. Like, if they could do, like, almost, like, a whole race of just your friend's ghosts, kind of. Almost like the Rayman Legends Challenges app, where it's, like, you have all your friend's kind of data kind of in there at once, even though they played at different times. That could be cool. But that could be, like, a nice expansion of ghost data in Mario Kart or whatever. Yeah, it'd have to be with your friends, though, because Mario Marker 7 yeah. does do that with random online ghosts. Like, you could race, like, seven at a time or something. Yeah, and, like, the Rayman Legend Challenges app is yeah. random. Yeah, it's just, like, the next seven. Which gets kind you. of annoying when it's, like, 20 Rayman Shadows ghosts mm-hmm. running around but either way it's a cool it's a cool uh it's cool to see that Nintendo's still trying to expand their online offerings and still expanding what Miiverse can do so yeah. I've said before I'll say it again the fact that Miiverse um is constantly being updated like this is kind of amazing it's very like web savvy of Nintendo um another thing he addressed actually was Virtual Boy on the 3DS eShop see this is one of the weirder questions that the investors asked the guy's like so yeah, there's the virtual boy. You ever gonna bring it to the eShop? Just just wondering. <laughs> and he he basically said, uh, "Thanks for the advice. We might do it." So <laughs> I think, hadn't even considered well, yeah, that. Well, you know, I think the weird thing is like I don't know why Nintendo wouldn't do it. It's it makes sense in the sense of, like it will sell on curiosity alone. Like it's a total cash in for Nintendo because so many people are like, well, "What was the Virtual Boy like?" And then they'll download Wario Land VB or something or Tennis VB. I'll be like, Whoa. Yeah, and they'll just play it and be like, "Whoa, this is kind of crazy." And either it'll click with them or it won't. But either way, those first downloads or two, that first download or two, they'll make money. I don't know what was the name of that robot game, the punching one. I do not remember. But yeah, but that one, like, I, I don't even know. Uh, 
Was I even Nintendo first party? It had to be. They only had first party games. But, like, I wouldn't mind playing, like, Nestor's Funky Bowling um, from Virtual Boy. Like, I'm curious about that stuff. So I hope they do that. But, um, you know, these were, like, the minor things I want to talk about. Of course, the major thing that investors have been wanting to hear is how I want to address the issues plaguing Nintendo right now. You know, specifically, uh, well, specifically, cafeteria food at Nintendo headquarters. That's a big issue. Apparently, the food sucks. Horribly. And the law says they're surveying the, the staff to find out who likes it and who doesn't. And they may take action depending on those results. So I'm glad that's resolved. Really? Yeah, that actually came up. Someone, literally the person who asked the question about the Wii U was like, or no, it, I don't remember what it was about, but they also had, also, I heard from people I know at the company that your cafeteria food's not very good. What are you doing to address this? It's like, what? <laughs> but no, that's clearly not the main the issue Nintendo is facing. Well, in Japan, the American oh. Nintendo has decent food from my understanding. They have Cafe Mario. Which oh. is like a full-service restaurant in their headquarters, or buffet, or whatever. But um, the real thing I wanted, the real struggle I wanted, I had to talk about was, of course, the Wii U's, which has been a very long, ongoing discussion now. And uh, you know, he didn't have a lot of new information. Like he's st- they're still Nintendo's still driving the software leads to hardware. Software creates har- good software means good hardware sales. Software drives hardware. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say. But he did raise an interesting point regarding. Um, third-party support, and how third parties are dropping out, saying, well, no one bought our games. And you're saying, it might, you know, it might be because you released ports and very late copies of games that have been out on other systems. And we've talked about that, and it's totally true. Um, essentially, he believes that a lot of third parties that supported Wii U at launch failed because the games were so late. Like, Mass Effect 3, a week after Mass Effect Trilogy comes out, doesn't make sense. Like, why would, yeah. why would you do that? So, uh, he thinks that the real test of how third parties can do will actually be this fall, when games are being released simultaneously. He didn't name them by name, but he did show a slide that included like the Watch Dogs and Batman, Arkham Origins, and Splinter Cell Blacklist. You know, all those are coming out at once on both Wii U and the other consoles. And he... I want seems to be willing to wager that people that enjoy the gamepad's extra menus on the screen, and, you know, the gamepad features that they are built in to the game, um, they'll Oops. get these Wii U versions specifically because... They get those features. Like, they, he thinks that's going to be a trade-off people are going to be interested in making. Like, okay, maybe online's not as big, but look at all the cool things they can do with the gamepad. So, so he's saying at that point, those sales might pick up, and then other third parties will be kicking themselves for not waiting that full first, you know. Gosh darn it. Yeah, essentially going, wait, we should have released, like, Watch Dogs is doing decent on Wii U. We should have released our game, too. And, I mean, I was right that third parties are kicking themselves. But kind of for the opposite reason of what he was saying. For trying? Yeah, they're kicking themselves for trying because, uh, I mean, it's a sad truth, but sales of third-party games aren't good. Uh, Game Industry International actually spoke with the likes of Ubisoft and Activision and EA and got some kind of interesting quotes that are a little disconcerting, but nothing too shocking. Um, It's pretty much a very stark contrast to what Iwata was saying, where it's like, you know, where he's like, oh, the third parties that are there and they're making good content, they'll do well. And the unique gamepad uses that should boost sales in the fall. It'll be fine. But then Ubisoft came out to Game, uh, Games Industry International and said, yeah, that didn't work for Zombie U. Sure, it was unique. Sure, it used the gamepad in a clever way. But sales were not what they wanted. In fact, the CEO of Ubisoft, Yves Guillemot, put, uh basically said that the game was so was not profitable whatsoever. Not in the least bit. Wow. So that's we're actually in debt. Yeah, we actually every copy we sell, we are losing 
$50. (laughs) You give us $50 and we just throw it down a well. And that's it. We just make 50 wishes that somehow this game sells better. No, but um, he was saying that's not even close to making a profit. And keep in mind, this is one of the top-selling third-party Wii U games from launch. And it was bundled with the Wii U in Europe and America at one point. Like, literally, when you bought a Wii U, if you bought the right SKU, it came with the game. And even then, with Nintendo paying to put those games in those boxes, it still couldn't turn a profit. So that's rather concerning. And that's actually why Rayman Legends went multi-platform. The mystery's finally solved. The disappointment in Zombie U made Ubisoft decide, well, maybe we shouldn't make exclusive games. So they made Rayman multi-platform, and they're continuing to support the system, but they're not going to make exclusives until they know what's going on. And actually... Ubisoft's going to see how things go up through this Christmas and then reassess. So if Watch Dogs, Splinter Cell, Assassin's Creed, if those don't do all that well, Ubisoft... Yeah, but if they don't do... Or Just Dance. If they don't do well, they're going to start backing out. I can see Just Dance staying on board, but I wouldn't be surprised if the other three games, like the heart, like the core games, I wouldn't be surprised if Ubisoft doesn't bring up next year. Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs... And Splinter Cell. Yeah, but uh, they're not gonna do well on the Wii U. Yeah, well, Watch Dogs could because it's so well built for the gamepad. Like you use a smartphone. The oh smartphone no! Yeah, 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 actually, Watch Dogs might. Yeah, Splinter Cell might due to a mix of software drought because yeah, Pikmin Three is out, but nothing else at that point. Splinter Cell comes out a couple weeks before Wonderful Wall One and a month before Wind Waker or a month and a half before Wind Waker HD. So they have a little like carved out window. But Assassin's Creed's like right in the middle of Wind Waker and Donkey Kong. And Watch Dogs is actually in that same time period, roughly. But it has a bit more of a unique edge, so... Yeah. I don't know. It'll be hard to say. But, um... In terms of third parties not liking the Wii U, then there's EA, who we long know has not been a strong supporter. And they actually, um... They have the opposite strategy of Ubisoft. Pierre Moore, their COO, talked with Games Industry International in the They're same article. They're not going to put anything out and wait yeah. to... Basically, he said that, like, they don't... You know, they released what they did, nothing happened, and they don't see a reason to support until they see evidence that it works. They have X number of resources they're going to put in things that they know can turn a profit. So um, the main thing, actually, that Pierre Moore said that was kind of interesting is EA's very focused on online and online community and that sort of thing. And the lack of the engagement of that online community on the Wii U is actually a very big hindrance for EA, and they don't think it's worth bringing their games until they have the online to back them. Because right now it would cost them more to make and maintain, to run and maintain the server than they would make off the game. Which isn't worth their time. I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, but when the Wii U launched, um, I think there were like 30 people playing Madden Online at any given moment. Ouch. Yeah. So I can see where they're coming from. But Ouch. Yeah, I mean, he, he literally said to them, the Wii U feels like an offline experience right now. That's a direct quote. Even though it has Miiverse, like, for EA's purposes, it's, it's as good as just, like, hooking up a PS2 or something. So that's why they're not supporting it. So, I mean, bottom line is... We said this the last couple episodes following E3. The bottom line is, Nintendo's a software drives hardware strategy. They're going to go full force with it, and it's just a matter of seeing if it pays off. And in the meantime, third parties are going to keep, you know, complaining. We're going to keep covering it, because there's always going to be new stats, like Zombie U bombing, relatively. So, it's just an ongoing cycle. But you have to wonder if investors are starting to get fed up with this ongoing cycle, because we've been hearing this for, like, eight... Two generations? Well, not quite. The Wii was fine, but we've been hearing the Wii U issues since it launched, basically. We've been hearing it for seven months. Since, like, before it launched, too, I feel. Yeah. Like, it's been at least seven months of all these, like, Iwatas. Please understand, and 
that sort of thing. And I mean, investors are starting. I think investors are starting to get a little fed up. Um, last year, they they give a at the shareholder meeting they give um, approval ratings, much like you know the U.S. citizens give to the president of the president. And last year, Iwata and all the exec board were at ninety percent approval ratings, which is actually quite high. Uh, this year, the other exec stayed at ninety percent, but Iwata went down to seventy-seven percent. Which I mean, granted, he's still three quarters liked. Like that's pretty good. Like only a quarter of the people that own Nintendo stock don't like him. That's not bad. But the fact that it dropped that much suggests that either people are starting to get tired of hearing I water talk ad nauseum and not a quarter act. of them changing their mind. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. And a quarter is a lot in this case. So like you know, either getting tired of him repeating the same talking They're not voice. understanding. They're not. They refuse to please understand. <laughs> so it's either that, or maybe they actually do want him to go. Contra, because, you know, there are all those reports, we talked about this last episode, all those reports that, um, well, was stepped down, Nintendo didn't reach its 100 billion yen profit goal. He said that's not true, but maybe people want it to be true. And when he said, no, 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 I'm not stepping down if I don't reach my goal, they're like, oh, come on, you said you would, or, well, we interpreted it that way, <laughs> so we're going to down, we're downvoting you if this is the the Reddit of <laughs> the investing world or whatever. So, yeah, um, that's a bit of a bummer for Iwata. And actually, there's one issue that won't raise him any, that won't give him any brownie points at all, and that's this new ongoing debate of region locking, which actually just sprung up since E3. Uh, so, following Xbox One's reversal of its DRM plans, and the internet kind of was like, "Yeah, we won one battle. Let's go fight another one." Like all the gamers on the web, so they started a whole campaign all about convincing Nintendo to ditch region locking. PS4 doesn't have it. Xbox One now doesn't have it. Uh, so why should Nintendo? That's the argument. So the campaign actually started over at NeoGAF, which is an awesome forum that I like reading, and uh, it's since expanded onto Miiverse, onto Twitter. It has hashtag like if you look like look up hashtags like N Region Locking and Nintendo Region Free. Like if you find if you look up those hashtags, there's thousands of tweets about it, and they even have a Change.org petition, which is well over twenty thousand signatures right now. Does so. um does Sony and Microsoft really have that many? Or not as many games that are overseas. Uh, like Sony and Microsoft release most of their products worldwide. Yeah, because they're American companies, so they make yeah, Western-oriented well, games and then put them in Japan too. Well, I mean, Sony, let me rephrase. Sony's Japanese, but they have a very strong American development team. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nintendo's all their stuff Japanese, and they decide what's good for the rest of the world. Yeah, because so Nintendo, like, yeah, they definitely have a lot of stuff that never makes it over here. I mean, a lot. I mean yeah. like that article that you wrote, like, there's a lot of weird stuff that doesn't even make sense. Oh, yeah, my extra I wrote a while yeah. ago. Yeah, about uh, Nintendo's lost in, lost in translations. Name, yeah, actually. like I mean, yeah, it makes sense why a lot of things don't come. They probably wouldn't even. So, if anything, it might throw push people off. So, yeah, I mean, is that a reason to region lock? But well, I mean, yeah. it, the the thing is, like, Iwata actually, it's funny because Iwata spoke about the reasoning behind region lock to IGN at E three before the petition, and then IGN published it once the petition picked up steam, and uh, he said it was more than just you know simple business reasons of reasons of we want to have this game sell well here like apparently there's actually um cultural reasons in the sense that different you know different acceptances of what's okay for kids in different places and there's ratings they have to deal with and there's that sort of thing so Nintendo's just trying to keep their image clean by putting the right games under the right classifications in the right places and region locking lets them do that but on the other hand the argument of supporters is that as consumers, they can they should be able to play whatever they want, however they want. You know, it's up to them to take the risk of having inappropriate content or whatever. So it's you know it's their choice. They should do what they want and just stay out of it. And it is a valid point. Like it it if you own a Wii U, you should be able to play whatever you want on it. You know, yeah. but 
But on the other hand, to play devil's advocate a bit, I think part of the problem with region locking or getting rid of region locking is that if you buy an un like an imported copy of a game, because you don't think Nintendo will bring it stateside, because Nintendo has a kind of spy history with that, and then they do bring it state stateside and localize it properly, you probably aren't going to buy the localized version. You played the import already. Why would you go through it again? Like, the majority of people won't. They already spent the money. So that's a lost sale for well, Nintendo. I'm still holding out for... Is it an investigation? Right, too? yeah. So that's a lost sale for... Nin- Nintendo was still- yeah. So that's a lost sale for Nintendo or Capcom in that case or whatever that they can't get back. And if they're already hesitant to bring a game over because of weak sales, and then they basically make it easy for everyone to import the game, which will lower sales even more, then they just won't localize it. So then they're stuck in a loop where it's like, well, if I import it, I get to play it, but then I'll never get to play it properly. Or if I don't import it, they might bring it over. So like Nintendo's basically cutting the loop and saying, no, no, no. Either we bring it over and we do it right, and you play it that way, or that that's, your, that, that's it. That's how you play it. You play it the right way. And they don't have to take as much of a gamble. So, I mean, that's kind of a devil's advocate view, but I can see why they're doing it for that reason. I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense, yeah. yeah. I, 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 at the same time, though, like I, there is like a consumer, a whole consumer rights reason to not do that. Like, it, it is your console to do what you want. So I don't know where I sit on this, but either way, uh, for those who are disappointed by Nintendo's previous localization efforts, they are turning it around a bit. Uh, specifically, they are actually unifying their sales depart- their sales teams for Japan and international into one giant unit, and they're doing this specifically because more games are going to be released simultaneously worldwide. That's what Japan's Nikki Nikkei Nik- Pokemon, right? Yeah, that's uh, it. Nikkei Nikkei newspaper. They did a whole article about how Nintendo's combining them specifically because of Pokemon, and it's funny. Like Nintendo, they've gone in like spurts with their worldwide localization, like worldwide releases. Like, there was a while where um, they made a huge deal of Animal Crossing Wild World and City Folk being released worldwide about pretty much right at the same time. And then New Leaf wasn't. Like, I remember Mario Kart DS was released around the same time worldwide. The, the Zeldas always were. And then now they're like... But then they started to kind of drift apart. Like, Fire Emblem was really far apart. Animal Crossing became really far apart. But now they're, like, starring again with Pokemon X and Y. And I think all of this is a result of Iwata becoming NOA's CEO. Because if you recall, when he became CEO, he said one of the things he wants to do is unify the lineup. Well, here you go. Lineup unified. So for whatever is going to come overseas, is at least going to be... It'll be at once. And it also implies that they're combining their sales forces, that that means the slate of games they're planning to release will be the same worldwide. Not just released at the same time, but actually the same. Or else you need different sales teams to handle different things. So it'll probably be like... Like, I mean, X is already confirmed worldwide. While Xenoblade obviously took forever. So that's the Nintendo uh, shareholder Q&A. Two quick things before we get to our game impressions. One is, if you didn't notice, uh, there's some firmware... Well, actually, one quick thing split into two parts. There's been some firmware updates. So, uh, real quick, Nintendo finally released Street Pass, DLC, uh, Street Pass Plaza's new DLC. There are four different games you can download for five bucks a pop. It's Me Force, Flower Town, Warriors Way, and Monster Manor. Remember that DLC that was crashing through DS's overseas? Yeah, we, I mean, we, outlined, we outlined what the four games could do, I believe, last episode. So if you want to break down that... Check that out. But more importantly, uh, tune in next time. Because we're putting these games through that. We just got them. We don't really want to give impressions yet because we don't Street Pass much. But we're going to Comic-Con. And what better place to try out Street Pass in Oscar glory than at a place with 60,000 people, probably half of whom have 3DSs. So we're going to be going crazy with our 3DS Street Passing. And we'll have a full full impressions and report, if you will, of how the new, how it all looks and feels and works. We'll tell you the worst $5 a pop. Yeah, so or, or $15 if you bundle them and get all four. So one thing I would like to say now, though, 
one, the new interface is super cool and clean and nice. And two, the rabbit salesman or sales rabbit who you buy the DLC from is like the most, the best new Nintendo character in a while. I mean, all I'm going to say is when he asks you, do you like this genre? Say no. And it's like the most awkward, funny, like five seconds. He literally just goes like, oh, and the music just stops and it's just silent and he just stares at you. And he's like, well, in that case, and keeps going with whatever. But it's just like they give it personality. It's yeah. a storefront that talks to you and has personality. It's nice. Hopefully there's a cameo or at least a trophy. And yeah, he needs, a, he needs an assist trophy. He needs to be an assist character. Though. I say Brawl. I mean, Smash 4. Yeah, you whatever. have to be a Smash. But um, it's actually kind of interesting. That Street Pass DLC, they mimicked the development strategy they did for Wii Play Motion, where they pitted different developers against each other in a competition to see who can make the best minigame. And then, and then they all got included in. But it was like, you know, it was like, Boost up your company's profile by making the best one of the batch, so everyone's super motivated and make a really good one. Wow. They did the same approach. They approached four different developers and said, we're going to have you and three others do it. Let's see what you can come up with. And they were all like kind of friend, friendly competition. Well, yeah. It's a cool strategy. I hope they do more of that. But the uh, the second bit of news, Wii U's summer firmware update has been delayed. So as I water would say, as I would say, please understand. Uh, it's been, yeah, it, it was summer. It's now going to be late September, early October which is just after summer. So, Nintendo, you're now having an autumn update. But uh, And hopefully, whatever... It's supposed to improve speed. It's supposed to add new features. I'm hoping it adds folders. But what we got in the meantime, uh, actually, just this past week, is the proper implementation of Spot Pass on the 3D... On the, excuse me, on the Wii U. So now, when it's in standby, it will periodically ping Nintendo servers and download things as necessary. It doesn't notify you when it does until you turn it on, though, which is a huge missed opportunity. I mean, the home button on the gamepad could has a light in it that flashes. They could just enable it to work yeah. in standby mode. So, I mean, but it's a nitpick. I mean, Maybe got, they'll fix it. So it's a minor update, but I mean, still unfortunate that the one we all wanted is going to fall right before. Yeah, right it's, it's fall, they, it fell back. It yeah. fall, fall back. Fall back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so that's it for news. Um, we do have game impressions. We have those three we mentioned. So let's, let's start, I guess, with Game & Wario. Game & So Game & Wario... Uh, I think the best way to do this is it's it's a collection of different mini games. They're more so they're more like we play mini games in terms of size than they are WarioWare mini games. So I think we'll just run through each of them and give like one minute impressions on each, and then we'll talk about what the game you know what the whole package is like. So um, should we just go down the list yeah, here. So I guess we'll start with Arrow. So what do you think about Arrow? Well, Arrow. Uh, so how Arrow works is you have the gamepad and you're flicking off the gamepad arrows onto the TV, and you can kind of. Well, no, no, you're not flicking. You're pulling back. Or pulling back. You're shooting. You're yeah. bone arrowing. Yeah. Arrows. Quite and the opposite of Takamaru's yeah. Ninja Castle. Yes. It, yeah. The exact. It's like a slow pace Ninja Castle from Nintendo Land. But it's you know it's. I guess because I played Ninja Castle so much, it's there. It's kind of it has like Wario humor. But it just was like, I don't know. It was a little too simple. Like, I, I played it a couple times, and it has different levels you can unlock and whatnot. And there are boss battles. And they have, like, garlic that you can, like, rub on the tip of the arrow. And it'll, like, be like a garlic bomb that explodes and takes care. So there's some strategy and whatnot. But it's pretty rudimentary, all in all, I'd say. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's safe. It's on. They play it safe. It's yeah, really I'm, it's really more of a tech demo than yeah, anything I mean, else. I, I personally really enjoy it. I really like how much... How much more difficult it gets in every stage? Like, I mean, like the bosses get crazier, you get right. way more bombarded. I mean, like it's. Uh, I mean, I like. The yeah, it has good progression for what it is. It's just what it is is kind of yeah. simple in my mind. I mean, kind of like how we were saying um, when you were talking about the Wind Waker and Mario Sunshine, those ideas that uh-huh. turned, or how the uh-huh. 
how the Wii U was an accessory that turned into that. I mean, this yeah. was kind of like these games were originally tech demos that turned into yeah games. So. Yeah, that's what's interesting about Game of Wario is at one point in its development, all these games were going to be bundled on the hardware, or some of them, much like or a number of them. This one, uh, the pirate one, where you're dancing. Yeah, those were shown off at E3 2011 as generic mini games. And they were going to be bundled on the system, much like Face Raiders on 3DS. And then Nintendo decided to put them all in a Wario game with a few other game mini games. So, so yeah. they have kind of a weird origin, which is why they feel so tech demo-y. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Like, if these games were released, like I don't know, like five months ago. Like, I mean, when they were technically honestly, supposed I don't know to, why they didn't just do like, them as eShop games. I mean, <laughs> it would have been much better received. Imagine if they're two bucks each on the eShop, and you just pick which ones you want. I don't know, two bucks seems a little. Cheap. Yeah, five bucks. Five bucks, pick what you want. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's... that's well, there were five bucks, it'd be 60 bucks, even more. Yeah, that's a good point. Never mind. But, um... And five so, bucks seems like a fair price, honestly. Yeah. So... But, yeah, that's Arrow. Which is kind of run too, we're getting, yeah. like, sidetracked by the yeah. general war. Uh, Ashley's the next one that we're going to talk about. And Ashley is... Literally, it's like a smartphone game that, for some reason, is on your TV, and there's no explanation of why. <laughs> Basically, you're controlling Ashley as she's going... Down a 2D course, collecting, I don't even know what, little beads of something, and avoiding obstacles. Yeah. And, like, you can make her do a loop-de-loop in, like, a clockwise yes. or counterclockwise. Depending on the shoulder button. Yeah, depending on the shoulder button, and that's it. You're just guiding her down a path and moving the shoulder buttons. And you steer her with the gyro, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like it's, literally, it's literally like a iOS game from the early days of the App Store. I mean... It makes... I don't know why it's there. Like, I mean, for what it is, like, I mean, I enjoyed it because it's there. Yeah. It's, but it's more like it could... They, they could have definitely done something else. I mean, they could have even, like, instead of having on the gamepad, you just have Ashley's face. And, I mean, if you tap her enough times, she gets angry. So, all right. But, yeah. um, I mean, they could have given you a first-person perspective for some reason. I mean, that would have been cool. Yeah. I mean, they do that in a different game. Maybe with the analog, you could shoot manually. Yeah, yeah it just seemed very... Not lazy, but just, like... I don't know what it was supposed to be demonstrating to me. Like, mm. what was the point of it? <laughs> it was just like, I mean, there's so many games like that, and it didn't bring anything new to the table. It's just kind of like, well, we need one more. We need a feature, Ashley. Let's have her ride a broom around, and you control yeah. it with the gyro. I mean, unfortunately for this one, this one, it's like once you beat the three levels... That's it, right? I mean, you unlock stars in every level that you've done, mm-hmm. which does, I mean, all it does is um give you more opportunities to do loop-de-loop to get even more points, but that's all it does. Yeah. I mean... It's it's a strange game. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a bad game. It's just... For what it is, they, it's they, okay. they could have they done better. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we've seen what they're capable of in the other games when some of them are amazing. Like, I mean, like, a good... I think a good example is, like, Yoshi Touch and Go. It was a very simple concept that's been done before. Like, just you're auto-walking and you're just interacting with the world. But they put Nintendo... Like, the Nintendo Touch on it. And it was unique and kind of fun. Ashley is missing that touch, I feel like. Yeah. It's missing that extra Nintendo magic. Ashley would have been really angry. She would have. Yeah. Well, she's always angry. She's emo. She's like an emo goth girl. But, so that, that's Ashley. Um, you know, you mentioned the first person perspective thing, which actually is a good segue to, we were going to go in alphabetical order, but whatever, to uh, Taxi, which is the dribble and spits game. The Taxi Driver. Yeah, that one's really cool, because so how it works is on the TV, you have a top-down view of this very, like, polygonal world like very, like, everything very square think Minecraft yeah very Minecraft yeah. and then on the gamepad you have the uh, front dash with the rear view mirror and everything so you can kind of you could kind of see where you're going on the TV but there's obstacles and trees and stuff and buildings in the way 
So you use the gamepad at that point, and you also um, can shoot bazooka rockets from the taxi because why not? So, um, so to do that, you press one of the trigger buttons, and then you use the gyro to aim it. And it feels really intuitive because you're already looking out the window there, and then you just lift up. And the whole point of it is you're collecting, um, you're stopping aliens from abducting cows and humans and creatures of various. Well, I mean, every level is different. I mean, the first one you're just oh, yeah, that's on just the farm. first one. Yeah. I mean, the second one you're transporting people. The third one you're transporting insects. Yeah, they're all different. But yeah, but you're and the whole thing. But they all have the use of the bazooka in some way. Don't yeah, they? like the game is split into two two parts. Like mm-hmm. the first. I want to say like two, three minutes, you're just, um, you're doing crazy taxi. You're just looking yep. for spaceships. You're shooting down the spaceship to bring the people down or the customers, pick up yep. the customers, take them to their destination and that's it. Which the destination is the same for everyone. The center of the yeah, stage. Yeah, it's the center of the stage. And then when the time runs out, that's when the mothership comes and then it turns into a big boss battle where you have to destroy the mothership. And which requires shooting at glowing targets from different spots, basically, because that's the only way you can see them. Yeah. Which is a lot of dry around. But it's really cool how like, they combine the navigation of like looking out the front with looking from above. Yeah, it's done in a really well done way. No, oh, it's 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 really cool. It's really unique. Yeah, it's definitely it definitely is one of those like oh, this only works with the gamepad. So our experiences. Yeah. You know, another one like that actually is Kung Fu, where uh, you're you have a top down view on the TV. No, on the no, gamepad, and then behind the back view on the TV. Yeah, I always get those backwards in my head. So, like, what you're doing is you're hopping from little floating island to floating island, collecting dumplings, which give you the energy to reach the end, because, once again, why not? Mm. And that's the general message of Wario. Why not? We can do it. Why not? Um, yeah, so how it works, it's kind of like Captain Falcon's, uh, whatchamacallit, twister race thing on Nintendo Land, where you're, uh... You know, you're literally having to find things from one view that you don't see in the other view, kind of like Taxi as well. Well, kind of, because I mean, in the Twister race, like, that one you could play it almost entirely on either Yeah, but this one has, like, holes in the platforms that you don't see unless you look top down. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that one you do have to keep looking back and forth a lot. Yeah, it's actually a little confusing, honestly. Like, I mean, it was fun, but I think I prefer how Taxi implements the two views over Kung Fu, because, like, there are so many times I jump, and they'd be like, well, should I gauge the jump from top down or from the back and I'd like always like be looking back and forth in midair and then fall and miss the platform like I don't know maybe I just didn't give it enough time but yeah, like, the game, like it was like, fun like, once like, 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 it just didn't click um, I, I played there's like five stages like they each get a little harder like there's one that right. takes place on a river one that takes place like, through a lava level and then you get an infinite mode right and um, it does give you areas like little tiny patches where you do get a chance to like they give you chances to look at the screen to look at the TV yeah just so you could get an idea of what's coming ahead and then you go back down. And, I don't know, I, I really liked it. I thought it was fun. And I think it just didn't click with me right away. Um, I mean, Taxi, they're kind of the same concept in terms of how the gamepad's used. Yeah. But Taxi just felt more natural. Maybe because it was a car and you're looking out the front of a car. So it just kind of made sense. I, I don't even know. Oh. But, I don't know, Taxi just clicked with me better. But, I mean, Kung Fu's cool and I really like the art style. Like, the kind of papery art style they went with for Kung Fu. Yeah, like ink. Yeah, the ink. It looks really nice. I mean, it is fun. It's just, it didn't, I had a little more difficulty with it, personally. But, uh, there are a couple games that are very heavy on, like, creativity, I guess you could say. Um, well, one real, two really. They're almost like puzzle games. One is better than the other, I'd argue. Uh, the first, I guess worth mentioning, is Design, which is Dr. Krygord's game, and you're building him a robot. So to do that, you're... It's like draw a line. You you. It's only on the gamepad, really. And it's just like draw a line of this length. 
draw a triangle with this, or draw a circle with this diameter. Draw a triangle which has one one leg of it x. Well, I mean, like, long. Well, no, with draw a triangle with two inch sides, right? And draw yeah. a ten inch squiggly line. Yeah, and then what it does is it takes your drawings, it rates how accurate you were, and I mean it's pretty lenient. Like if you're off by, you know, half an inch, it'll still give you points or whatever. But um, know, did you it is on, kind of, it's a good, like, way to judge if you can judge just distance well. Yeah, I cannot. It judges you on, on neatness and accuracy, so... Yeah, and then all it does, literally after that, is it just puts your drawings onto a robot. Pre, like, pre-made robot. It just, like, inserts, like, oh, you drew a triangle? That was to outline his eye. And then it just puts your triangle over his eye. Yeah. That's it. It's totally a tech demo. Like, they didn't really flush it out at all. Yeah, I, I mean, feel it, like. it, I feel like it's it, a huge it, It's fun for a while, but then, um... Pretty much, you're always drawing the exact same figures over yep. and over again. I mean, it's randomized. Like sometimes there'll be one, and sometimes there'll be two inches. But over, it's one of those games that you want to show your friends and play with them, like for like maybe like an like, like for a little while. But then you probably won't return to it later. Yeah, quite frankly, it's when you do it the first time, you're like, "Whoa, this is cool!" Like it's in real time measuring all my drawings. Like that's kind of crazy. Like it's really cool that's on the spot doing this. Yeah. But then you realize that's all it does. And you're just kind of like, all right, well, it's fun to show me it can do it. But. Yeah, and then, like, after you beat it, you're like, oh, maybe you'll unlock... I mean, a lot of the mini games here, like, give you tons of repairability. I yeah. mean, um, the taxi one, like, after you beat it, they still have um, keen taxi scores to beat, and those are right. kind of hard to achieve, right, right. so... I mean, and the game is fun, so you want to do it over. This one just unlocks the two-player mode, and that's about that's it. That's about it, yeah. yeah. And then the, the other, like, kind of more creative one is Patchwork. Which is much better. Uh, so how patchwork works is that you patchwork works is that um, you get all these pieces of felt that are cut by Cat and Anna, the ninja girls. Katana. Yeah. yeah. Oh, they spell katana. That's right. I just forgot about that. Anyway, I was way too enthusiastic about that little tidbit. Uh, today exactly. I learned because I, I, I remember it blew your mind last time on the last episode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so they're cutting up felt into random shapes, and you can overlay the felt in any which way to form images. It's kind of like Picross, but instead of numbers yeah, they, that I mean, you connect, they it's a, uh, felt pieces. There's a image, and all you do is just figure yeah, out Yeah, there's like a shadowed-out part that you need to fill in. Well, not really shadowed-out, but there's no. it indicates what, what sort of what you're trying to build. Like, there's... How it works is there's a grid of crisscrosses and zigzags and all straight lines, but, like, crisscrossed with each other, and then you fill in, they fit in the felt in the way that it looks like it goes, and eventually, once it's incorrectly, the game will go, look, you made a horse, and all the felt will, like, yeah. suddenly In the beginning, like I was kind of skeptical. I thought it was going to be kind of like Ashley Syndrome, where it's just like, oh, okay, it's just using the touchscreen. Yeah. Or it's just using... It doesn't even, you don't even need the TV for that yeah. one. Yeah, but then, um, I don't know, it gets really addicting. I really like... I mean, it's like a puzzle game. I've never done a puzzle game quite like this. Kind yeah, of like it's, how it's pretty neat. Like, you never done something like yeah. that. And then the puzzles get pretty difficult, like, later on. Like, the first few, like, the first 30, um, the the piece, the puzzle pieces literally only snap into the location where they go. So, yeah. if it snaps in, you got it right. It's kind of hand-holding at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even then, like, they still get a little tough. I mean, even when you figure out what the image is supposed to be, it's still kind of hard to guess. But then right. later, the, but then later, the later puzzles, like, when you get to hard, they'll snap into places, but that might not be the correct one. Yeah. So and that's where the real puzzle begins. And then when you get to the even harder stages, there'll be many places where they could snap in, but they will still won't be the right ones. Right. So it, it gets really tricky and it, it's pretty fun. I really yeah. like it. Yeah. No. It, I. I. I mean, they even tell you at the start of it, they're like, "K, 
keep playing, it gets better. Like, they don't quite say that, but it gets challenging yeah, quickly. And so I was like, if they have to tell you that, they, there's probably some truth behind it. Like, yeah, you know. so, I mean, you have 90 puzzles plus, like, another mode, like, later. So, yeah. there, there, so there's a, a lot one. of puzzles. That's one that, that, that's one that, like, you wouldn't expect necessarily to be one of the better ones, but somehow... Oh, yeah, yeah, it. totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. But there's also, um, these don't really fit into categories as nicely as the others did, so I'll just run through them. Um, there's Shudder, which is uh, Mona's game. She's a photo... No longer delivering pizzas on her scooter. Now she's taking photos. Yeah. So she... Uh, this is essentially... Uh, they've showed this one before, but you're using the viewfinder of the... You're using the gamepad as your camera viewfinder. It's basically Where's Waldo, but moving. Like, yeah. windows open, windows closed, people walk. They get so, really creative with it in the later levels. Yeah, they do. It's... it's kind of fun so yeah it's just it's basically where's waldo and you can zoom the camera in and zoom out to find the person and then you take a photo and you're rated not just on if you found the person but the composition of your photo you want them big and centered and it like rates in real time and it does like a little photo like a little here's your newspaper article with your photos or whatever yeah and then there's like little like a little frank or little yellow creature that if you take a picture you get bonus points yeah I by accident did that the first time I played. It's like bonus points. I'm like, wait, what I do? And then I noticed he was like upside down, like hanging out of the window in the back corner. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. And the levels do get pretty crazy later on. So yeah, they do all I sorts did. of like visual trickery. Yeah, like sometimes like um, you'll be on a you'll be recording like a stage play, and everyone's gonna be wearing a wig and a pig nose, so you don't really know. Yep. Which one's really which until you like look at the eyes or look at the yeah. shape of the head. Yeah, they, or, get, they get clever. Or other times you're hunting for ghosts and like they're kind of invisible, so you kind of have to like follow suspicious looking activity or look at the notes and stuff like that. Yeah, like really, that. it's kind of like a single player version of uh, what's arguably the best multiplayer game on Game of Wario, which is Fruit, which we'll get to a little later. But that's essentially. It's kind of like Where's Waldo mixed with like, like a like pattern recognition of sorts. So, like, that yeah, one, we'll talk about that. That'll be the last main game we talk about. We'll end on the super high note. But, um, yeah, I mean, Shudder, I think Nintendo's literally like, well, Fruit's really cool, but how do we make it single player? And they basically made Worth Waldo, but animated. Yeah. So that's Shudder. Then there's uh, Ski, which is Jimmy T's game. Jimmy T is the awesome disco king of the WarioWare franchise. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why he's skiing all the time, but he has a nice group of, he has a nice group of disco queens to join him. So, wait, that sounded like I'm talking about, like, uh, uh, dressing up as the opposite yeah. gender. I mean, girls who disco. <laughs> yeah, that game is ridiculous. And it's also another one of those that has more to offer than what Way initially... More. yeah. Like, first I'm like, okay, it's like a simpler version of... Um, the F-Zero Twister race, because yeah. that one is way more like it. I mean... You're right, you're right. Yeah. I mean, you have the... You don't it's, really it's look at the TV. And... TV, it's behind, TV is just dynamic ang- angles of JNT going down a mountain slope. Yeah, you're but you actually don't use the TV at all. In fact, yeah. you'll lose if you look yeah, at the TV. Yeah, I, I learned that very quickly. Yeah. But yeah, it's all on the gamepad. Top-down view on the gamepad. You move with the gyro. You can go off jumps, go through speed boosts to get to the end. Um, it has an unlimited mode eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, you have like five stages, each getting like progressively, progressively harder, harder, and, harder, and then yeah. a lot of like... You want to get for the gold and get crazy little cutscenes, and then they have... That's the best part, by the way. Jimmy T's cutscenes in every WarioWare, yeah. now Game of Wario, have always been top-notch. And also, then... his beard is a music note. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when you beat those, you get more difficult versions of those, and then after that, you get an unlimited mode. So you have tons of replayability in that one, and music's great, ridiculous, over-the-top, it's fun. Well, it's Jimmy T, of course. Yeah, it's, so... It's over the top. Lives up to his reputation. Yeah, but that that one's funny because that was really deceiving, almost more so than Patchwork. Because when I first played it, I was like, okay, that's that. Oh, yeah, yeah. when you played it at um, Comic-Con, I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah, we played it, it like... last year at Comic-Con, and it was literally a 20-second demo. Less. 15 seconds. And when it ended, 
Like, it's really weird because I, like, turned to Isaiah. I'm like, okay, is there more to this? And then Niven King, a guy behind us, was like, oh, you're done with the demo. Can I play now? I'm like, I played for 15 seconds. He's like, yeah. Well, I said it nicer. I'm just like, sure, although I only played for 15 seconds. He's like, yeah, well, you had your turn. And then he proceeded to play the demo for 20 straight minutes. Yeah. Not just ski. He played all of it. But it's just kind of a funny situation. But, yeah, it's very deceiving because it seems super rudimentary. And that's a little more so than, a little more than that. More than meets the eye. Yeah. Uh, another game that argues more than meets the eye is Pirate. Which is, at first it just looks like you're kind of flailing around, but it actually is kind of a rhythm game in disguise. Oh, yeah, like, no, so no, how no. it works is, uh, there's a, first of all, it has a really cool, also, kind of matches Nintendo Land in, like, graphic style slightly. Like, it's like, it looks like it's like a stage show kind of put together made out of, like, props. Don't like, it's all wooden, though, instead of felt. Yeah, but, like, it almost like a war- paper cutout, so, like, Yeah, no, it's kind so- of wood. You can see, like, nails in them and stuff. Oh. But, but they look drawn on, though. Oh, maybe you're right. Yeah, because everything was very vibrant and colorful, but very yeah. I mean, they do, they do, they acted like paper cutouts, like a little, like they had little true, true. Maybe it was sticks paper. on the back yeah. of them, but but yeah, that's so, how they animated. At yeah, least, but. essentially how it works is there's pirate Wario, which is now his third costume after Wario wear in normal yellow and purple, and uh, he is telling you when he's basically shouting at you that there are arrows coming at your or not arrows. Yeah, arrows. He's ordering his men to attack you from either the top, left, yes, or right, or the center. Thank you for wearing that. And your gamepad is the shield, and you have to block him from the top, left, right, or center. Thank when you. He gives that was command. so much better. So this one's kind of yeah. cool because it's kind of like uh, the bubble effect of like We Street You or Pan- Pan- Panorama, Panorama View, where uh, you look up, there's a world above you. You look right, left. The world extends beyond the TV, and you he'll shout the commands to a rhythm, and then you do the movement of the gamepad to the same rhythm. So he'll go like up, left, right. And you go up, left, right, and pretty soon before you know it, it's going fast enough that you're basically dancing with the gamepad. You're you're on a. Eventually, very... he does require you to dance, but you don't. Yeah, you yeah. There's of, a weird thing at the end. Cheat it. There's a super weird thing at the end where it's through like dance time, and you just like dance. Like it's just silhouettes like jumping around. And you're supposed to, I guess, mimic their motion. Yeah. But I just sit there and shake the gamepad because I mean, I'm sorry, I'm not <laughs> dancing alone in front of my TV unless it's like just dance. And even then, I don't even play just dance. I mean, I guess like what the game says, like the point of that is like you're building up energy to create like a projectile that you'll shoot at Wario, and then at the very end, after you yeah. do the crazy dancing. You have to time a shake to the rhythm so you could, like, knock out Pirate Wario. What it really is, is Wario games are insanely weird, and this fits the bill perfectly. Why not? Why not? And the final single-player minigame is arguably the one most people are expecting when they pick up this product, which is Gamer. And that is, this is, I think, my favorite use of the two-screen setup on the Wii U in in Game & Wario, just because it's very creative. Um... On gamepad, you're playing WarioWare, like a mini version of WarioWare. You have like what, maybe 25 total yeah. micro games at most, and you're nine volt playing. Nine volt being the Nintendo fanboy, the Nintendo fan service fanboy, and um, on the TV, you're supposed to be asleep. So you're seeing nine volt. It's past his bedtime. He's playing video games in bed, and his mom keeps checking in on him. And whenever she does, you have to press L and R or ZL and ZR at the same time on the gamepad to make him hide under the covers. And his mom gets tricky. At first, she just, you know, comes up the stairs, and you hear her, and she opens the door and looks. But as you get to later levels, and eventually the endless mode, she starts doing things like coming in through the outside, like, like, checking from the outside window, or smashing the outside window, or jumping out of the TV, or, and then creepily sitting at your bedside, staring at you with yellow beady eyes. I don't know if anyone saw my Miiverse post about that, but it's the creepiest thing I've Only ever to seen. run away and jump Only out the window. Only to run away. Oh, and if she comes out of the TV, she then proceeds to sit and watch an infomercial, because... I guess she doesn't care that you're supposedly trying to sleep. 
And then when the t- the TV tends to like short circuit, and she has a seizure on the floor, and it gets up and checks on you. It's the strangest thing, but it's, I think it's the best use of the two, two screens because you're doing something on one screen, but what's happening on the other screen is directly influencing your first screen. It, like sets an, a mood, like it sets an environment for you. You know what I mean? Like, the other ones use it in clever ways, but this one, like, we've never seen anything quite like this. Yeah. We've seen ones where you have different perspectives. We've seen, you know, in, in other games. We've seen ones where you have, you know, things like you t- do something on a touchscreen and it appears on the TV. But we haven't seen one where you're using the, t- the gamepad, but the TV influences how you use the gamepad. Like, that's a new one. Yeah, like, and honestly, cool. like, like, if you split them apart, like, each game would be really, really, really easy. Like, you you could, after you go through, like, the first three levels of yeah. Gamer, you could play just the Warrior War games by themselves if you choose to. Yeah. And then... But what's the fun in that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, you could you could probably, like, never lose. I mean, you will lose eventually because they'll be going way too fast. Yeah. But um, those alone are really easy. So, I mean, the only reason you're going to be losing is because your mom's going to catch you. But they also kind of make it easy to tell when the mom is going to come out. They give you some pretty obvious tells. They give you a lot of tells. Yeah, like yeah. a really high-pitched shrill will come out. You'll hear footsteps. You'll hear static. You'll hear uh, ominous music. That's my favorite. Where it's like, oh. it, like almost like the uh, psycho music where it's like, ding, ding, ding. Except it's not quite that scary. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, they, they, they definitely give you heads up. So you just, you just have to start learning. Yeah, so I mean, like, you could just press it in advance and never get caught, but then if yeah. you press it too far in advance, you'll fall asleep because you also have a sleep meter. Oh yeah, that's something I forgot. But that, you can't really just yeah. abuse it the whole time because then it's like, oh, then... You have 99 easy. points to work with and each, I think it's each half second that you're holding it down. Well, I mean, if you, if you press Elenar at the same time and you, and you get an okay, you lose like two points. Yeah. If you get great, and if you get good, you lose one point. And if you get good... In the endless mode, you get three points. Right. So you recover, so. Right, right. But yes, that's gamer. And so that, you'll lose because you'll be too greedy and you want to, like... Exactly. And honestly, I want... I really want Nintendo to release a deal... Like, to somehow release DLC. Just take the first WarioWare in its entirety and plop it into gamer. And I will be not leaving my Wii U ever again. It's like... I like it that much. But, so that's single player. Multiplayer is, I think, the bigger draw. Even though it's fewer selection. At least a little... Specifically, two. So there's a four. Oh no, I'm sorry. There's two more single players. We probably mentioned they're unlockables. We're not gonna say too much, but actually, probably not say much at all. Just that one. Um, one of them's always kind of been there. Yeah, one of them is a staple of the WarioWare games. It involves a elongated tongue, <laughs> and the other one is uh, interesting. I, I mean, it's not really a spoiler. Interesting take on bowling. Kind of a unique spin on it. Okay. Pun intended. So though, actually, I really like the bowling one. And I like uh, the other one without saying its name. It has it's very cool because it's the same thing on the gamepad and the TV, like identical mirrored image, but different art style, which is kind of a neat touch. The yeah. gamepad's like all game and watch style, and the TV's like, claymated. Like yeah, it looks claymated. Yeah, though so, it, it might be easier to play on the the gamepad just because it makes more sense with the movements. But, it is easier yeah. to play, but the TV just looks cool. Yeah. So yeah, then there's multiplayer. Uh, we'll start with the I'd argue the weakest of the bunch, Disco. This Would game. you say it's the weakest? I'd say it's the weakest. I'd say it's the weakest compared to it, but I still like it a lot. Yeah, no, it's still fun. So it's, it's just not like saying it's bad, it's just... Yeah, I just meant it's the weakest of the four. Yeah. So what Disco is, this is only on the gamepad. You send a rhythm. You have... Uh, you each on one side of the gamepad, two players. You have three buttons. You send a rhythm to the player, to your opponent. He tries to do it, and then he sends you one back, and you try and do it. And you get bonus points if you match the rhythm with the music playing. And 
That's about it. Yeah, it's just... It's just like it, a tug-of-war. It's, it's a tug-of-war with rhythm. Yeah, I don't think it's meant to be played, like, for hours on end. Just no, like, it's like a ten-minute here. Yeah, ten just like a quick, like, like, all right, well, who's gonna get shotgun? The all one right, fun... Okay. I mean, it's pretty fun for those few minutes, but yeah, it gets repetitive. The one thing that's really weird about it, though, is it'll randomly go, like, look at the TV, and you look up, and it just says, like... Round three, and then you're like, I, you couldn't just. Oh, no, shoot. one of says who won. But, I mean, they but both they can say, show that on the game. They show it on the game. Anyway. They, 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 I know, yeah, they both say who won. It's just, it's very strange. It's just so you can see the, the, the crazy animations. Yeah. The little cut out people. Yeah, that's one that, like, the dual, the dual screen set doesn't make sense. Because, like, if, well, you're, if you're focusing on the gamepad, you're not looking at the TV, but they have all these cool animations on TV. I guess it's if you're. Well, with well a yeah, yeah, group. but that's, that's, that's what people are watching. I mean, yeah. when, um,. When I was playing it with a group of friends, I mean, I was just fine just watching the TV. And oh, okay. They were playing that. That makes sense. Because, I mean, we only played against each other, so yeah. I didn't have the communal experience. But, so that's Disco. It's I don't know why Jimmy T's not in that at all. He should well, at least, Mike's like, have a cameo. It. He's a DJ. Yeah, but not... Where's Jimmy T? He's a Disco. He's it's skiing. called Disco. He's skiing. He can't be skiing all day, every day. He's a... Di- I, his, once again, his beard is a music note. He has to be discoing at some point. <laughs> anyway, uh, then there's Islands. Which is, it's kind of like Monkey Target in it's Super without, Monkey Ball without skill involved. <laughs> like, it's more random luck. and It's skill, but it's not, you're not controlling. Okay, how it works is the Fronks, those little weird microchip looking people. Um, you're flinging them, slingshotting them onto platforms. And there's five different stages. There's like one where, four, it's big, or four different stages. Yeah. There's one where it's like a Jenga tower. There's one where it's a giant scale. There's one where it's like a floating... Like four floating mini islands yeah. and one giant mini island. <laughs> yeah, and basically how it works is where you land the fronks will affect the balance of the of the stage. And, you know, so you have to now, I think, where do I want to land it, but where does my opponent go land I mean, there could be up to five players. So it can get really crazy. And then you're kind of trying to outmaneuver each other, and you can knock other people's fronks off. And it's a lot of, like, thinking of what other people will do. But the reason I say it's not skill-based, at least in my opinion is because, as, say, Monkey Target, where you're landing a monkey manually, is that, A, the Fronks, once you send them airborne, it's all up to them. They just kind of land where they land. They're, it's like throwing a jack, a set of Jack's toys, like just like tossing yeah. them on the floor. And, B, um, everything has a random element. Like, in one stage, when you land on a platform, it'll it, depending on how you hit it, it will move and bump into other platforms. And when they bump, they set off a spinner that changes their point value. Or like the Django one, um, if you, you know, if, if you, well, if you're just not lucky, you're just gonna tip over. Yeah, if you're just not lucky, you'll just fall. I mean, and then there's a bird. The second round, so. Yeah, and then there's a bird who randomly comes in, literally at random times in the middle of state, in the middle of rounds, after rounds, whatever, and just grabs a random frog and throws him into the water, which means whoever frog that was for no reason at all loses ten points, or however many points. Or however many. It could points. be a hundred. Yeah, it could be a hundred. But yeah. so I mean, but, it's, it's fun because the. I'll let you jump in a second. I just gotta finish my right. thought. It's fun because the strategy is totally different than Monkey Target. Yeah, it still kind of feels like Monkey Target, but at the same time, if you're the type of person that hates the randomness of Mario Party or even doesn't like that tripping was a random element in Smash Bros. and like things that are like all skill based, I don't know what you would think of this. Like, it's harder to say, but I really like it. I would just say if you could find like five people to play this with, it's really it's super fun. chaotic I, I, and super fun. Yeah, like yeah. I played it with five people and it's ridiculously fun. And if anything. The randomness just makes it more fun, just because. Yeah. Well, I'm cool with randomness. Yeah. I just know a lot of people aren't. So oh, well, I, mean, I just want to make it clear that I mean, there's I'm, I'm okay randomness with... and skill are literally on par in this. Like it's uh, not like one out. No, there. I think there's a little. There's more skill there. I mean, there's definitely still a random element, but I right. still feel like skill still plays more here. Yeah, I, get, I, mean, I guess I mean, it's more strategizing. Than yeah, skill. yeah, because I mean, it's more mental skills. Yeah, because I mean, 
you could also like kind of control when you want it to be randomized to like in those True. levels when you get to bump into each other. True. The randomness that I hate is like <laughs> the one in Mario Party where the whole mini game is just like, okay, pick a rope. Right, that's it. right, right, right. You get it, you like, or the... Yeah, that's true. This uh, is not that bad, you're right. If you can... The Bowser blow-up one where you have to, like... Oh, I love the, the Bowser thing. balloon one just because I like watching Bowser's head explode. Oh, well, no, that one just sucks. Cause well, you you like Bowser, so you must be... Well, no, not because of that, just because I... It's, no, it's bad. Yeah, I, I gotcha. But, um, the other... The, um... There's also Sketch, which is literally just Pictionary. There's yeah, not much so, more to say. It's a well-done Pictionary where you pass the control around. It compares how many you get right versus how many get you, you uh... How many you got? How, how many, many you guessed correctly, and how many that you, you drew other guessed correctly? And that's pretty much it. Like, yes, I mean, it's, a, it's great. It's Pictionary. It's really fun. Yeah. It's on the TV. The it, thing you have to keep in mind is if you're playing only with two people, it's a cooperative right. thing. And if you're playing with more and more, it's a competitive thing. Yeah, and also it automatically like handles whose points are whose. It just tells you to like pass, and you just do like it sorts yeah. it out for you. Um, and the final one, arguably the best, is Fruit. Uh, fruit is. That's I think it started out as called, being called Thief. Yeah. And then they changed the name. But basically how it works, in a nutshell, there's one guy on the gamepad, he's a bandit who's stealing fruit, or a thief who's stealing fruit in one of three stages. Each fruit has a unique element, be it obstacles that block the view, lights that go out, or uh, water. Or whirlwinds. Or, whirlwind, or, whirlpools. or whirlpools of water that spin people around and whatnot. So how it works is the person as a thief uses the gamepad to sneak around and try and grab the fruit. And they're in this world where there's all these other characters. And you don't know which character as the three people who have to guess who the gamepad, or however many people, have to guess who the gamepad owner, you know, the gamepad thief is. Uh, you yeah, keep in mind, every single one of these things only uses the gamepad. There are no other controls. Yes, yes, Game of Mario is all gamepad only. Yeah. Which is nice, but just in terms of, like, if you don't want to buy it. Yeah, so controller. the spectators, like, I mean, they don't have any controls, but they're still pretty active. Yeah, like, how it would work is, like, the game will, say, pass the gamepad around, and people will put their guests and that sort of thing. But, um, so for Fruit, how it works is you're in a populated world of people walking every which way, doing whatever, and you're trying, excuse me, you're trying to sneak through and grab the fruit subtly. Like, maybe when there's a big mob walking towards the fruit, you can blend in and grab it. And the way the character, the computer characters move around, these huge mobs, is based on what you do. So if you start spinning in a circle, the computer's AI will pick up on that, and random characters in random places will spin in circles. Well, in later, well. Yeah. later ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, I meant in later ones, yeah. yeah you no, know, I mean, even, in, even in the same one, if you walk back and forth a few times, other characters will join you walking back and forth. Like, if you walk along the same line, like, back and forth four times, oh. there'll be a few characters that come with you. But yeah, the techniques you use, like spinning and whatnot, it will pick up and plop into future rounds, so... Yeah, like, I already yeah. broke this one. Like, this, we have a lot of people spinning. Yeah. So, and then it's all, like... And to, to make it easier for the people watching, because, you know, when there's, there's literally, like, 150 characters on screen or some crazy number like that. So, when when all those characters are moving about, to make it a little easier for the people watching, um, every... 30 seconds. Yeah, every 30 seconds it takes a photo of, of a general location of where the agent or the not the agent the fruit thief is where the game pass yeah, so you'll is. see a frame and he will be in that frame but he won't necessarily be in the center he could like his head could barely be peering in yeah and he could be behind an obstacle yeah but the point is it gives you some idea of how to whittle it down and then you just kind of look so if you're following someone that you have a sus- I don't know, if you have a suspect and then the frame yeah. appears way on the other side then you're like oh okay yeah that, that rules him out pretty quickly but no it's, it's really fun like it's just it's just different like it, there's nothing you yeah. don't really have stuff like I didn't this think I would game. like this one either that much when yeah I, I, I wasn't that I thought uh, Islands would be my favorite but I think it falls to second favorite behind um, I, I love fruit I can't get yeah, it, fruit. it's 
And, and the great thing is, fruit is healthy. And it's good for you. Yep. I'm talking about the, the edible kind now. But no, it's uh, it, it's interesting just because you don't have games like, like that. Like, there is no yeah, game where... It's, it's like hide-and-seek meets Where's Waldo. It's what Shutter multiplayer is. It's kind of like I said, Shutter's single-player fruit. You could also view fruit as multiplayer Shutter. Like, they kind of go in tandem. Yeah, this, you definitely can't get this kind of experience. Yeah, this is definitely anyway. one of those true, like, Wii U-only things. And another Wii U-only experience, actually, is a bonus game that's not even in the main game of Wario. It's, like, kind of its own sectioned-off section called Miiverse Sketch. And literally, it will be, like, you have 20 seconds. Draw this. And you do it, and it instantly posts to Miiverse. And you can browse everyone's drawings. You can suggest words for future rounds. You can, um pick categories of words you want to draw. Like, it's it's really neat. I suck at drawing, so I don't personally do it that much, but, like, Jose, you've been doing a lot of cool drawings I've seen. And it's just cool, like... All right. I mean, they were pretty cool. And it's just cool to see them, like, start filling up your, filling up Meverse. Although it's oh, annoying yeah. when people do, like, 30 in one go, because then your feed's clogged. But it's just, like, a nice bonus. It's another one of those things that, like, they could have sold it as an eShop thing for, like, five bucks, but, well, whatever. It's tossed in Game of Wario. Why not? Yeah. Another another example of why not the philosophy of Game of Wario. <laughs> that sounds like a book. Why not the <laughs> philosophy and and methods of Game of Wario? But um, that'd be a nice title for a book. Yeah, thank why you. Not? Or a movie. But uh, what was I gonna say? So I think overall, Game of Wario, I would say, is worth the forty dollars. Yeah, because I mean, you are getting a lot for forty dollars. I mean, think about how long we've I been mean, talking about this. Like that should indicate there's a good amount of content. I mean. It's experience because some would be comparable to Nintendo Land as far yeah. as like content, but then you have to remember Nintendo Land is a sixty dollar game and this is a forty dollar game. This is Nintendo so, Land crossed with we play with the personality of WarioWare. So so even so even though a lot of the games and visuals are scaled back to like flash animations, although a, I really a, like them, a lot of them still have more substance than a lot of those Nintendo Land games like themselves. So yeah. Like, I mean, and just like, I mean, and you also have a lot of incentive to, like, even play them, even the ones you don't really like that much, just to get coins so you could go to your Pop thing to get random toys that, yeah, that's one of the cool that things are literally is. as random as throwing um, steel wool at a guy's face to make a beard. Yeah, no, literally, that's what, that's actually one of the cool things that kind of unifies the game, because it's really, like, I mean, each minigame's totally unrelated, and they kind of bring them together with those flash animations, which mimic the old game and wa- or WarioWare cutscenes. That's a nice callback. Uh, they mimic, you know, they bring them together with the fact that you collect tokens, which, like you said, Jose, they unlock to- what they essentially call toys, which is everything from a marionette you control by shaking the gamepad to oh, the uh, dancing one. Yeah, I've you posted a video yeah. of that. Yeah, it's it's on the Random Town Twitter, but um. There's, like, that, there's, there's, like, a f- weird one where, like, you call a hotline, and there's, like, just oh, a person the talking to you. hotline. Yeah, there's more. There's also one for wood carving and some other stuff, mm. uh, I think. And there's, um, like, it's just so many random things. And they're cool, like, little, there's one that's, like, a hand mirror, and literally the TV showing you what the gamepad camera sees. It's just, like, random yeah. little things. There's actually a cool one where, like, you're looking into a dollhouse, and the, on the gamepad, well, it's you like see, a gnome. It's a little yeah. It's like a gnome house. And on the gamepad, you see your point of view. So it's you looking through a window in this tiny house. And on the TV, you see the gnome's point of view, or a camera in the gnome's house point of view, looking back. And in the windows, your eye. Like they're all like you are yeah, gonna so play with them. You shake it, you can move with furniture. Or yeah, you are gonna play with it for five or ten seconds. But when there's a couple hundred of these, I think. I haven't gotten There's any. a good amount of Yeah, there's like 80 maybe. Like they add to it. And it just adds to that personality and it adds to that whole like bizarre nature of the game. And even like each mini game has a splash screen, like a loading screen that looks like some sort of like 
ultra-realistic, bizarro painting. And, like, even just that, like, it's just such a quirky game that, like, I'd say it's worth the 40. If you just want a good minigame collection that has some fun multiplayer, and even some single-player that can be enjoyed by multiplayer, like Shudder, you can work with friends on easily. Um, then, yeah, this is, I'd say this is worth the 40. Yeah. Which is actually kind of going against what a lot of reviews said, but I feel like a lot of reviews didn't play it as in-depth as they could have. Like, I think it's good we didn't talk about this right when it came out, and we're now talking about it, like, three weeks later. Yeah, because I've had time to... And we've had like, time to, like, really in, dig in. Yeah. yeah. So, that's Game & Wario. Thumbs up all around? Yep. Just don't go into everything. I mean, it's called Game & Wario, not Yeah, it's Wario not WarioWare. A lot of reviews seem to have, like, not, like, the fact that it wasn't WarioWare. WarioWare has its moment in Gamer, but it's not WarioWare. I would be very happy if they released a full WarioWare for um, Wii U, but, you know, take this as these are a bunch of separate demos that were going to be bundled with system that were shown at E3 that were just ideas, and they figured, let's give it a Wario coat of paint and see what people think. So if you go in that way, it's a lot like Wii Play, it's a lot like Nintendo Land. That's pretty good, considering its price. Yeah. So, definitely better if you have multiplayer, though. I'll just be clear, because, like, I... I, when I play multiplayer Wii U, it's usually here with Jose at his house, and I feel like I've played Game of Warrior like triple the amount of time at his house versus my house because, you know, I don't live with anyone that would play with play it with me. So it's kind of like that's that. So yeah, if if you're only getting a single player, it might be a bit of a harder sell, possibly because I feel like the multiplayer games are like really the highlight. But yeah, single player still is fun. It's a Wii U thing. Like, I mean, Nintendo Land and this yeah. are only really worth it if you have a lot of people. I agree. So. Yeah, so that's Game Wario. We do, like I said, we do have impressions of Ace Attorney and 1001 Spikes still ahead. Thank you for sticking with us. I did not expect this episode to go so long. Uh, so let's start with Ace Attorney Dual Destinies. Um, this is the new Phoenix, right? Coming from Capcom Woo. exclusively on the 3DS this fall. And at AMA Expo, they were demoing this along with I know, what are the odds? I was not expecting this I was not, at yeah. Expo. Usually... Anime Expo doesn't usually have games, but they had a good showing this year. Yeah, I mean, all I was just minding my own business, and then I'm like, whoa, Phoenix, right? And they're really? like, oh my god, Phoenix is pointing at me! And he ran over and hugged the sign. I know, and then... I saw it, I witnessed it. I and remember. then later I find the game I was looking for, part two. For oh, yeah, yeah, bucks. you've been looking wow. for that for a year. But anyway, so, yeah. uh, Dual Destinies. Uh, I mean, do you want to go first? I go yeah, first. Yeah, um, basically... It plays exactly how I expected it to play. It's Phoenix Wright. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> nothing has literally changed. I mean, you press people. For well, nothing gameplay-wise. Okay, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> graphically g- g- un- Well, gameplay-wise, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you press people for more information. You find a contradiction in their statement. You look at your evidence. Okay, he said this. This says that. Objection. And yeah, although granted we only played a courtroom battle. One in which the judge in the courtroom even says, like... This is gonna be brief. It's only a demo or yeah. something, which is kind of a fun. I mean, all, all Phoenix Wright games, like, but always... the investigation phase is more fleshed out, is it not? Aren't you able to explore the levels in more detail now? Yeah, well, we couldn't demo that. But... Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you're in a yeah. 3D room. You get to twist the camera around. If anything, it, that plays a lot more like on Virtue's Less Reward because that's how mm-hmm. the cameras you get to right, move yeah, in the 3D room and you just click on items. Yeah, but it, it's still the same concept. It's just in. Oh yeah, 3D. yeah. They just kind of. Built yeah. out, built on it. Um, the only, I mean, the visuals definitely, like, they made the transition from pixel to polygons, like, really well. Like I, I think part is because, like, I don't know, is it just me or did Dual Destinies have not exactly cell shading, but almost some sort of, like, pastel overlay no, it, 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 was, it was definitely really well cell shading. And not only that, but, like, the animation on... I thought Super they were, I, 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 I thought they were going to... Well, actually, I was going to say kind of the opposite. Like, really? I mean, I mean, they're smooth in, the sen- in a way, but... I thought they were gonna... Okay, they're CG characters now. I mean, 
Pixel, oh, you expect them to be fully animated? P- pixel characters kind of like skip animations on purpose because they're pixel right, right, characters. Right. And I thought when I first heard that this game was going to be in CG, was going to go like, okay, he's going to have a, his full arm sweep when he points, but he they actually it? kept it identical to the pixel animations, which oh. in a way actually kind of worked for it better. Like I don't know, I thought that looked. Yeah, the one the one that made me think it was super smooth. Was, I mean, he um, kind of just, he he just snaps to different poses. I mean, yeah. there's still some fluid animation, but. For the most part, Phoenix and the like are just snapping. Right, right, right. The thing that made me think it was super smooth was uh, you interviewed this, like, robot cop, and he has these little, like, goggles that shoot out of his eyes. Like, his oh, eyes are, like, extendable yeah. goggles. Or, like, you know, like, uh, telescoping lens things. And those, like, the animation, I like, it wasn't just like, oh, look, they're moving forward. Like, they were, like, scaling, like, getting smaller as they went forward. Like, it looked, like, really smooth. Yeah, yeah. You could tell that they weren't afraid to exaggerate. The I mean, like, when yeah. he's, like, typing on the little keyboard on his hand, like, you could barely see his hand. It's just, like, little quick swishes. And... Yeah, like, that I thought was super they... smooth. But you're right. Phoenix, now that I think about it, Phoenix's poses were very, I'm pointing now. I have my hands at my side now. Yeah. I'm the judge. My hammer's up in the air. Now it's down on the ground. But, the, but, but like, <laughs> Or gavel, not But hammer. it works really well for that reason. Yeah. Like, it. It, it bridges the 2D and the 3D. Yeah, I mean, but obviously, like, what we wanted, what I was more curious about was the, what was that? Moon Matrix. Yeah, the Moon Matrix. But before Matrix. I get to that, one thought on, uh, since we're talking graphics, the 3D effect I thought was really well done. Oh, yeah. Um, they actually do this new panoramic shot of the courtroom that they didn't used to do in the 2D games, where, like, literally it's the whole courtroom. You see, like, silhouettes of the crowd, like, you're in the back of the courtroom. And that shot looks super cool in 3D because it has a huge sense of depth. Like, you really feel like you're in a big courtroom. Yeah. So I just thought, even though that's a minor thing, that's just like one little cinematic flair, I thought it was a pretty cool use of the, of the fact that they have the stereoscopic 3D to work with. Yeah. But yeah, you're saying Moon Matrix. So, that's the big new uh, courtroom gameplay yeah. twist. So it, I realized, it's, I mean, it's just a demo. It's like the first level. So yeah. it's in its easiest state possible. And actually, not, not that I've had like a lot more time to think about it, um, in previous days of Trinity games, you, there's always a little gimmick they let you play with like right. I'm only gonna use the last one as an example it's a 24 mm-hmm. you get a bracelet where every once in a while you get to look at the the witness and you have to look for an odd part of them that okay maybe their left nose is twitching or something and then you have right. to like find those things and that seems really simple in the beginning and if I had only demoed that part in the beginning of the game I would have thought it was overly simple yeah. but they find really clever ways to use it in the end this is kind of the same thing right here it's really simple to use. You basically really just, okay, they're really sad in this part, so the sad face is glowing. All right, but the happy face is also glowing, so you click on the happy face. Yeah, it was so, like, blatantly obvious. And then later, it's like, okay, now you figured out why they were happy at the same time. It's because someone was saving them. Oh, now the... Um, but why are they shocked if they know the person saving them? Yeah, or whatever. So, so or pretty, angry. Why are they so, angry they're yeah, being so, saved? So pretty much there was nothing to solve. Just yeah. click the contradicting face. So I'm hoping later they use it in a more clever way. Well, I could way, see but, yeah. I could see them starting to play with like what is the appropriate emotional response. Like, what if it was a situation where they're scared and sad? Which one's the one that's more likely? Which one is like that's where it could get interesting. Yeah, so, if it's like if you're in a situation where like you get mugged and it says and it flashes like scared and sad like almost at the same time, but one's before the other and it's backwards. Like, why would you be sad before you're scared? You don't know you're mugged yet, or something like that. Yeah, so I like, mean, they like, could play with it. With, like, timing and stuff a lot. Yeah, because, I mean, like, at face value, like, it just seemed like a very simple mechanic to add on. But very I, simple. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know, like, I mean, I don't know what the plot is going to be, so... Yeah. They, it could potentially be, like, amazing, but... Yeah, I think we're going to... I honestly think it's going to be about split-second emotional changes and things that can have more than one emotion and which one... 
Because obviously, like, happy when you should be sad is a big one, but, like, the little details, yeah. those are going to be the ones. But, like, I mean, in the grand, with their but in the grand scheme of things, like, this game is already going to have tons of those things. I mean, yep. Apollo is the character you could play as, so you are going to have that thing I just talked about. Right, you have to look at the yeah. little twitchy thing, like the yeah. poker game thing. This is like the, And the, you still have Phoenix's truth lie detector thing. That from way use. back, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you have a lot of mechanics. This is that. really, like, the pinnacle of all the Ace Attorneys, it seems. Like, they're combining everything into, yeah. like, one ultimate game. And it will be only on the eShop here in the States when it comes out this fall. But, I mean, the thing is, I played the first Ace Attorney, and then I kind of... I don't know why, I just never got the other games in the series. But this one kind of, like, the demo kind of made me go, I should really download this. Like, I'm, I'm going to get back in, I think, with, with Dual Destiny. So, I'm excited for it. Yeah. The other game we played is 1001 Spikes. Uh, it's actually kind of funny. We're bookending our episode here. This is our final topic. We're completely bookending our episode with Nicholas games. We started with uh, Grinzia and we're ending with one, 1001 Spikes. So uh, what 1001 Spikes is, is this kind of retro, old school, pretty challenging of sort of platformer. It's uh, a trial and error challenge. Yeah, it's a trial and error It's like you will die. Like you're, just, you're walking down a straight path. And oh. a spike comes out of nowhere. Yeah, so like, okay. That happened to me now so many times. I, now I know I have to jump on this particular spot. So you're yeah. walking, you jump. Oh, I jumped too high because now this thing killed me, so I have to do a medium jump. Yeah. It's that kind of game. It's yeah. fun. It is fun. And you could actually, like, and then once you see those traps, those traps are recurring. You can see them in, in advance, so you could preempt them and yeah. dodge them. But then there's other things that will kill So they teach you a lot by killing you, and then you go for it. It's almost like a slowed down Super yeah, Meat Boy. Yeah, it is. Yeah, because... In order to be a level super meepo, you have to do a perfect run, but you yep. will die a lot yep. of the time, so... Yeah, this one's like... I mean, we were playing on a Mac. Like, it was running on Mac. It will be kind of Wii U and 3DS, but we were playing a Mac build with, like, a weird, like, wonky, like, PC controller. But... So I feel like some of the, like, trial and error could be avoided if the controls were a little, like, crisper. Like, let me rephrase. The, the game itself controls fine, but I felt like the D-pad was, like, messing with me a oh, little right. on the controller well i mean we were playing different we were different we were yeah, on different I mean, my, 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 my but but no it's uh, like there are times that like i thought i didn't press like i thought i was pressing forward to get away from spikes but it, like wasn't registering right away yeah which i think was the controller because you didn't have that at all so so i'm not even sure but, what I'm bringing it up. but no it's definitely a trial and error game it has a very cool i really like its its look it's like very old school very old school it's, but not it's like old. it's like somewhere it's like 16 bit maybe 32 bit it's 32-bit, but the character looks like 8-bit, practically. Yeah. Like, I don't know what he is. He's like a little box. But, um, yeah, there's a story that's told throughout the game, primarily through text-based like paragraphs that yeah. pop up between levels. Um, and, I mean, yeah, the big thing is it's a trial-and-error platformer. That, I mean, that's all it really is to it. And I don't know. I, I can't say if it's better on... If it'd be better for 3DS or Wii U. Because, like, it's short. The levels are short. They take no... Yeah. I mean, you're like you said, it's about perfecting them. But if you perfect it, you can do it in a minute. So, it, so that's, like, perfect for short, on-the-go, 3DS use. But it has multiplayer. But so, it's multiplayer. So that's, like, and they seem to have their own copy, so it's, like, oh, for that reason, you would want to have the it Wii on the one. Yeah. And then, so, not only that, but the Wii U one would have Miiverse, and for a game like this, it might be helpful to get tips on Miiverse of how to avoid certain obstacles. Or give tips. Yeah. Because one of the things about this game is, um, I think you alluded to this too, Jose, is that the, it's not just one jump. You can hit a button, a set of buttons to do like a high jump versus a low yeah. jump, and that factors in. Like that is like the main mechanic is what type of jump do you have? Yeah, to like do. their reasoning. I remember one of the developers or someone was there. And yeah, I, and then I and I heard him like they asked him like, why do you have two jump buttons? And he said it's because in Mario games, like you're never two hundred. Apparently, like he said, like you're never too sure how long you have to hold the button because yep. Mario's height dic- is dictated by how long you hold the jump button. 
So sometimes you'll like have a tiny little platform you have to jump into, and if you hold it too long, you're going to overshoot it. Don't hold mm-hmm. it long enough, you're going to undershoot it. That's true. So um, he made the two jump buttons, the two set jumps, so that it's never a question whether you're going to make it or not. You just have to figure out which one to use, and that's it. Yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, actually, that's actually a good point. That's, one way, to, about that's that. one way to eliminate the problem. So, yeah, yeah, it totally is. And it also creates a whole gameplay mechanic. Because now that you have the multiple jumps, that's where you can build the levels around. Which yeah. is what they did. There's so many parts where it's like, you have to figure out, okay, this is th- there's this big of a gap. Should I long jump or short jump? If I long jump, I could have hit the spike beyond it. But if I short jump, I might fall in front of it and hit a different spike. So it's like, like there's a level of something like that. Yeah. So you really have to time the jumps, and it's a lot of that sort of thing. But it's fun. I really like that. I actually... I think it sold me on picking up one of the eShop versions in the fall. I just don't know which. No, no, no. I think I'm definitely getting but, the yeah. It's just one. like it's just like a perfect little. It's a perfect little like, uh, platformer basically. I mean, it's hard, but it's fun. Yep. And I think I mean there's not much to say since you know that's all it really is. But um, I think with that kind of wraps up. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out for both 1001 Spikes and. Uh, is turning dual destinies and i think that wraps up the episode pretty much um you know honestly these early impressions we've been doing are really just a taste of what's to come because we're like i mentioned way earlier we're going to comic-con in san diego uh this coming week so that means we're trying nintendo's entire lineup at comic-con they haven't announced what yet but based on past years basically their wii u and 3ds games from e3 will be there so we'll have a link to between worlds and a link between world impressions we'll have Maybe Pokemon XY. Well, who knows? But we'll definitely have stuff. Stay tuned for that. We're also going to be looking at third-party games and going hands-on with the likes of Sonic Lost World, which I'm really excited to try. So definitely tune in to that episode when it goes up on July 28th, which is a week after Comic-Con. Not only for those impressions, but also we're going to have thoughts on the expo overall. They're they're kind of changing it this year. All the uh, video game stuff is in like one section of the, of the hall instead of spread out, so it sounds like a little mini E3. So we're going to talk about that. We'll have our Street Pass DLC impressions once we Street Pass the hundreds upon hundreds of people at Comic-Con that are going to have 3DSs. Um, and yeah, between now and then, though, uh, definitely check out the site. We currently have an extra up. We put it up last week. Uh, Flashback is back, our article where we look back at some of our favorite games from old consoles with original art, courtesy of Jose, which is who always does an awesome job. And retrospectives that we both write up. So we're doing, we did Game Boy Advance as our latest batch. So our choices may surprise you. They're not necessarily well, the best of every... Yeah, you did. <laughs> they're not necessarily, like, the absolute best. They're, they're more just, you know, games we really liked. And um, we'll also, right after Comic-Con, so next weekend, the weekend of the 21st, keep an eye on the site, we're going to have a photo gallery of all the stuff we saw at Comic-Con, all the gaming stuff, all the... There's going to be an Assassin's Creed pirate ship there. Like, a full pirate ship. So we're going to have pictures of, like, everything. Nintendo's booth, the pirate ship, Sega... Probably a lot of the non-video game stuff, too, that may be of interest to gamers, like if there's a sort of Pacific Rim stuff or Godzilla stuff, we'll, we'll have it all. It'll be a cool little photo adventure to go on. So keep an eye on site for that. Easiest way to make sure you don't miss any of this, the episode, the, the extra. Follow us on Twitter at Ramintano. Subscribe to us on iTunes. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I'm JSR7. He's Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. I recommend doing that this week in particular because at least, I, I don't know how much you're playing a tweet, Jose, but at least in my case, I'm going to be... Instagramming up a storm of photos and vining videos and whatnot from Comic Con mm-hmm. of the games of the much stuff as we see. Time, I don't know. It depends on how much yeah. Ninja Turtle. I and see. probably I'm probably gonna tweet out impressions of the games as we play them as well. Oh, so if you it. want like on the fly, yeah, I think I did that too. Yeah. So no, this is a good week to stay. This upcoming week is a good week to stay uh, locked to our twitters and follow us. And uh, yeah, thanks pretty much it. Love to hear what you think of the episode. Feel free to leave a comment. Uh, episode forty eight. War 
Scott Games on Ramtown.com. And until July 28th, I don't have a sign-off. So goodbye. Bye. <laughs>